Welcome to Week in Horror. You gotta be fucking kidding. The only podcast that will feed your horror need. The need to feed. With JL. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> Eugene. Somebody has to be the sex symbol, I'm sorry. Alex. Shit, I just demonetize this forever. And Johnny O. How do you like that shit? Got half within a monologue before unmuting myself. Golly, it's one of those fucking days. <laughs> With industry guests. Hi, this is Richard Oakes, director of host. Hey, this is Adam Leader, director of host. This is Matthew Mark Hunter. Hi, I'm Don and Ellie. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And this is Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! News, trivia, and more. One by one, we will take you. Join our live show Wednesdays at 7 central, youtube.com slash weekinhorror. And wherever you listen to podcasts, Week in Horror. Stay scared. <laughs> all right <laughs> the freeze frame i don't know what to do uh i don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> all right welcome welcome horror fans it's wednesday just a tad after 7 p.m central and that means it's time for another episode of the weekend horror podcast the only podcast that's permanently checked into room 237 oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man this is going to be more poignant now than ever and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast host you can join us here on the youtube on the youtube Mike, on the youtubes on the youtubes on the line <laughs> for our live show so you two can get in on the bloody fun what are you waiting for join us or die <laughs> or just not. I mean, just join us because it's fun. <laughs> this week we're covering select horror films released May. I let Johnny. I let Johnny write his own lines. This, this yes, he did. Didn't. I'm gonna get beat for all this off the cuff shit. <laughs> As I was saying, this week we're covering select horror films released May 29th through June 4th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Johnny O, and with me tonight are JL and almost Eugene. He's on his way. I promise. Yes, he got delayed, uh, but he will be here shortly. But that's okay because he is—he's going to pop up later in the show. Mm-hmm. So we didn't need him just yet. So oh, <laughs> we always need him. <laughs> well, I—I I need him. I need him personally, just like in my life. You know, yeah, you can't have too. enough. You can't have enough Eugene in your life. <laughs> Never. He's the sex symbol for a reason. Yes, he is. He absolutely is. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. How is everyone doing? Uh, this has been uh, a, wi- a wild bit of a week. Lots of stuff going on. Yeah. So much stuff going on behind the scenes that unfortunately we can't talk about. Hopefully soon. I know we keep saying that, and it, it loses no. its value every time we say it. But I wasn't eventually- going to say anything. I was just going to let it be. Well, yeah, but yeah. we have to give people updates. We have to let them know. It's like, you know, eventually we'll be able to talk about these things. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. We're going to be 90 years old when it happens, but damn it, it's going to happen. Goddamn right. Goddamn right. So, uh, so, a bu- so a couple of things that I wanted to touch on before. Hey, uh, check out who we have in the old science show. We have our good buddy, Haley McQuiston. Look at that. Well, I haven't gone through the, the, the chat list yet. So. Oh, well, I'm saying hi to Haley. How are you doing, Haley? Oh, Haley. Oh, good to see you. 
Um, everyone in the live chat, I, I, I just I just found her name in there. She said, yo, it says Haley, good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate it. Um, for anybody who is not familiar, Haley uh, handled much, a bunch of the special effects makeup and the, the, the uh, regular makeup on the nail gun short that we created that led to uh, the big events that are coming, that are taking place or, you know, hopefully will take place very soon. Um, so Haley is in a, and she was on the show one time. She was on our uh, show when we had, uh, I think, the, the very first episode of season three. She was dressed up as Elvira, yeah. and she was dressed as Elvira because we were taught we we looked back at Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yep, which yep. is a super fun little movie. It so, is. but yeah, first episode of season three, Haley hung out with us. Um, that was an absolute blast, that and of course, she fun. is a a kick ass uh, makeup artist and special effects makeup artist. So, hello, yeah. Haley. Thanks so much for being here. As a matter of fact, you know what? Before we dive into stuff, let's see let's see who else is in the chat tonight. I see Ivy Gentry was first. Ivy says hello, hello Ivy, good to see you. Raven Darkstar as well says boo. I am totally scared. Got me. Hey Raven, good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Travis Brown's in the house, one of our amazing uh, patrons. Thank you, Travis. He says hey horror nerds, what's That's up, fellow true. horror yep. nerd? That's true. We are nerds. We are absolute nerds, extreme nerds. I would say fanatics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome aaron reese is hanging out in the chat good to see you aaron thank you so much bud i hope you're feeling better real soon yeah, and then man. i see um who else we got uh angel rivera's in the house good to see you angel thank you so oh, much angel. for being here we do appreciate it says what up what up and i see ah uh, there's elizabeth sylvester another one of our amazing uh patrons Good to hey, see you, Elizabeth. Says hello, my friend. Hope uh, and uh, yes, we all hope that Aaron's feeling better. We know he's had uh, kind of a uh, a feeling icky uh, time, but hopefully he'll be getting soon, uh, getting better soon. Good to see you, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for being here. Sarcasm's in the house. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Thank you so much for being here, bud. We do appreciate it. Another one of our amazing. <laughs> what? What's up? Fucking Aaron, such a dick. <laughs> oh, I, I'm scrolling down, so yeah, I haven't yeah, seen. I haven't seen what he actually said yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I see um, Mystique Tina Jones says, peak alert, getting up in four hours, so I'll be sleeping ASAP. Well, we appreciate you popping yeah. in, Tina. Thanks so much for being here. We do appreciate it. Yes, <laughs> Aaron Reese says, me, I fucking hate these guys. <laughs> <laughs> we are fun. Okay, we are fun, especially when you're around, Aaron. Hey, we put you on a shirt. We put you on a T-shirt, your first... Like season on the show, right? Didn't yeah, even was... to, didn't even need to complete a full season before he got to be on a t-shirt. Right. A t-shirt solo. Every one of us has all been the group photo. He got yeah. his own t-shirt. Yeah. Never mind the fact that it was alluding to us beating you, but whatever. <laughs> what is implied is not. It is not. Is irrelevant. Is irrelevant to this topic. <laughs> You come out, you we give you a t-shirt, you're looking like the end of the fucking Belco experiment, my friend. That's right. <laughs> Not that that's what you're going. Anyways, uh, hello everybody. UKPI is in the house. Good to see you. UKPI says hello, people. I hope you're all good. We are doing fantastic. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Claire View is in the is in the house. Says hi all. Good to see you, Claire. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate it. Joshua Lee as well says hello, Johnny O. Hey, Joshua Lee. How you doing? Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here, Josh. And hello, JL. Good to see you, Joshua. Thank you so much, bud. Uh, Travis Brown says, I thought it was a psycho reference. Ah, that that uh, that reference was a shining reference. Mm -hmm. Room 237. The uh, the room with the, the the rotting naked chick in it that made that uh, Jack Nicholson room makes out. Room 237. <laughs> Go in there. <laughs> Rat Rob. So. Surprise winning it like a 
Shut up and go back to bed. Jinju's <laughs> <laughs> in the house. Is hello everyone. Good to see you, Jinju. Appreciate it. See Haley over there. Thank you. Uh, who? Oh, it jumped on me. It does that sometimes. Yeah, that was kind of kind of pain. Aaron Reese says, Haley, I have a complaint. In Nailgun, you can see far too much of Johnny's face. Horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like half a Hard. second. Gosh. <laughs> Chris Dura Music Channel is in the house. Good to see you, Chris Dura Music Channel. Yes, update. We can't say anything yet. This is true. This is the this that is the update. Absolutely. My hand doesn't. Damn it. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> we always do it like it's like no. the oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Let's point up. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh man. Oh, who else we got in the house? Who else we got in the house? Let's see. Uh, I see I see Skitch Crashers in the house. Good to see you, Skitch Crasher. I see I think I saw Sarcasm. Or did I say did I say hi to Sarcasm? Sarcasm and Surf. I always get the two of them mixed up. Well, hello to you both, just in case. And if Surf happens to be around, good to see you, Surf. Or if you're lurking, Surf, as you normally are. So, um, And I see uh, Cindy Johnson's in the house. Good to see you, Cindy. Says, hello, guys. Thank you so much for being here. As well as H. Jasper E., one, of our, big, uh, one of our biggest fans. Thank you so much, H. Jasper, for hanging out. We do appreciate it. And then, of course, what is what did Aaron, what's Aaron saying now? Says, and my face sold the shit out of that shirt. I'm nothing but a hook to you. <laughs> I mean, look. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> NANA is in the house. One of our longest and oldest patrons. Good to see you, NANA. Thank you so much for being here. Says hi, everyone. Mogwai as well. Good to see you, Mogwai. Uh, mm. I love that movie. It, it brings back memories. It so does. good to see you, Mogwai. We do appreciate it. Yes. Oh, he says I'm no. He's nothing but a hooker for us. And you yeah, are. You're, yeah. You're, we're gonna put you out on the corner and sell your ass. It's Look, pretty it's much what like, it's called. Paying your dues. Yeah. Dues. Dues must be paid. <laughs> Enjoy that experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hazing if you do it voluntarily. Enjoy the exposure. That's what that's what we're paying you in. We're paying you in exposure. <laughs> we're, exposure. <laughs> we're exposing you to all the beatings. This is true. <laughs> UKPI asks, where can I watch stream Nailgun in UK? Um, it's on I, our YouTube channel. I don't know. It's not on our YouTube channel. <clears throat> but you can check out the trailer and I'll put it, I'll put a link. In the old chats, just give me a second. I'll put a link to that trailer here in just a second. I'm not going to say anything other than you. You know, uh, it's a good trailer. You should check out all of the all of the things in the trailer. There might be some important information somewhere. In That's that right. That's right. Yes, watch the trailer, especially all the way to the end. Yep. Very very important. So we'll just leave it. We'll leave it at that. That's supposed to be something for people to, to find. Um, oh, and I do apologize. Charlie Welch is in the house. Is oh, ahem. Uh, good, good to see you, Charlie Welch. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Uh, Charlie Welch, an amazing supporter of uh, one of our amazing patrons. You can see his name down there in the banner. There it is, scrolling right across. Boom. And then, of course, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. That's true. All right, I just uh, left a link in the old side chats for everybody. Uh, go check it out. You won't be disappointed. Aaron says, I can expose myself on my own. And no, you can't see the police report. <laughs> um, sorry, I've already FOIA requested it. Hmm? Hmm? It came up in the background check. Why do you think we hired you? <laughs> right. There, so there are certain things. And then the dogs are going to go crazy. Sorry. Me. Okay. So, yeah, apparently his dogs are going nuts. 
so the second I turn the mute back on, right? <laughs> a little bar waiting, like they're waiting for me. I can see you. Press the mute button. All right. Yeah, little fucker. <laughs> um, yeah. What are we doing? My goodness. Oh, oh, Anna Anna says, JL, I had a childhood crush on Phoebe Cates back in the early 90s. Uh, who who didn't I mean, have it? I mean, uh, Phoebe Cates. Mm. Yeah, I mean, come on. Fucking A. You know what I really enjoy? You know what I, I liked? You know what I really liked her in? I liked her in Drop Dead Fred. She was fun in Drop Dead Fred. That was a, that, so that was the first movie I saw her in. Believe oh, it or not, okay. was Drop Dead Fred. And then it was always, you know, it was going back to like, um, oh, Jesus Christ. I just lost the movie. Um, Red Bikini. Oh, um, oh, God, I can't believe we think we'd remember this. No shit. Is it Fast Times? Yeah, Fast Times. Fast yeah. Times original. Yeah, high? fucking hell. Blockbuster one time said that was a movie they had to replace the most because of that scene. Because <laughs> it just <laughs> wore it out, wore it out, wore it out. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, let me see here. Uh, Charlie Welch, for God's sake, does anybody knock anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, Absolutely. And yes, Jin Ju says, Who wants a police report, Aaron? I want the traffic cam footage. Dan Skippy. All right. Well, Dan Skippy. Hey, that's kind of funny that face is there right now. What face? That face. I'm on oh, yeah. Yes, it is. It's very apropos, <laughs> we would say. Look at me with the school words. Mm, I use the big words. I use the big word today. <laughs> <laughs> you think I was a rotter or something. All Thank right. You. So um, the big thing that I wanted, to, I wanted to, to ask you about, and I don't know if you got to I know you're really, I know you're crazy busy. I don't know if anybody in the live chat got to see it, but I watched the new Firestarter. I have heard some things. I haven't been able to watch it yet, so I'm not. I'm not going to spoil anything yeah, right. about it. I'm not right. going to spoil anything on it. Um, <laughs> JL with the five dollar words. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, um, at six dollars. So, uh, yeah, three syllables, three dollars available. I will say this. I will say this. Um, I wasn't bored, and I wasn't. Um, but I also wasn't impressed. I will say that some things it did extremely well. Obviously, technology being what it is and uh, our ability to do special effects mm-hmm. of this nature, just just just, just you know the, the fact that we've gotten so we gotten so far along right. makes for a really, really entertaining movie. The problem is I'm very familiar with the book and I'm very familiar with the original. And I don't I did not like some of the changes in this one because it felt too much it, honestly, in my in my personal opinion, it felt too much like Brightburn. It felt too much like it was slipping towards Brightburn, and that's See, just me. That was that was a like the biggest set of criticism that I that I received or I got from the people who have watched Firestarter that they looked at it and said, "Well, there's too many." Like it's cool to make some changes to the story because obviously I don't want to just see the book told on screen. You know, it's cool to have the interpretations, but this seems like right. people were upset with the level of interpretation that went behind it. Some of the changes that like baseline to the characters like uh what was the little girl's name I can't, I can charlie McGee. yeah charlie mcgee wasn't this evil child in the book in the fire so it was just a kid who had this uncontrollable power at times right and they were talking well it seems that she is in the newer one she's a little more malicious than well she because they gave her anger issues for some reason i think to justify when in the original story it was it's just when charlie got emotional Right was always and being a little girl, you know, or being actually sorry, not a little girl, being a child. Yeah, children get emotional, and when they get emotional, 
because they don't understand things, especially right. when like you know the evil, uh, the evil like government organization is chasing you all over the country in this kind of unstable environment. Charlie would be you know was prone to emotional uh, to uh, emotional outbursts and paranoia and fear and you know scared about losing her dad and the fact that she lost her mom right. and the fact that she's she's tertiary she's, she's kind she's vaguely aware of the of how of how of how damaging her power can be right because she knows that it hurts people and she doesn't want to do that so that makes her upset and it creates a vicious cycle and that she hurts more people when she yeah, exactly. so, so yeah and i liked that i liked what king went for in that and i liked what they did with with and Drew Barrymore was perfect for that. She and I think you child. Like I you know, like you I think I think this I think the influence behind this version behind this uh this version of Firestarter was it took a little bit too much from the current climate of superhero films. And I think it just it just like people dig this, they like this concept, let's use this concept in this new update and I don't think that was appropriate to the story. That's just my personal opinion. Some people may dig it. I personally am still more of a fan of the original uh, 1984, even though I right. still think John Carpenter should have handled it, but I, I'm more a fan of the original one. And plus, Zac Efron, um, and it's not that I can't I can't get like High School Musical out of my head. It's that um, even though he can go dark and he can do these things, I can't see him as a father. I just, I can't. So... I I never got into the High School Musical thing with Zac Efron, so I I didn't have that. Um, the I think the first thing I saw him in, like really watched him in, was was it Bad Grandpa? I think it was bad with him with uh, him and um, Robert uh, uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, yeah. Now I, Robert De Niro was funny as fuck in that. I thought I thought, were, I thought both of them were really good in that, right? I, I never no no no. I think the first thing I saw him in was Neighbors, then Bad Grandpa. Okay, and. That neighbors when I saw him, I was like, okay, yeah, okay, I can see him. He's this goofy college kid, whatever. And it wasn't until I saw uh, the Ted Bundy tapes that, or right. not Ted Bundy tapes, but um, uh, the the, uh, the Ted, Ted Bundy, Bundy biopic. Film, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was fucking good in that. He was exceptionally creepy, a little too creepy, a little too Ted Bundy um, <laughs> in that. So I saw, I was like, all right, I'm gonna give this guy some respect. He can, he's got some chops. So. I don't know. I'd have to, like I said, I'll sit down and watch Firestarter. I just know he was good. Everybody yeah. in the movie was good. Yeah. Like every the little girl was solid. Everyone was good in the film. I just, I did. I couldn't just. It was difficult it's, for me to see, put him in yeah. that role. Right. I know. I know what you're talking about because, from, yeah. like uh, Breaking Bad, for me, I could not put because like, Breaking Bad came out right on the heels of the end of Malcolm in the Middle, and I could ah, not yeah. separate Brian Cranston, that goofy hapless, <laughs> you know. I could not like. Going from hi you to I am the danger. Like, dude, no, you no, stop it. Stop it. Go get your fucking soccer mom car. Go pick up the kids, you fucking bitch. <laughs> I think it's just the way, you know, a way it is. I mean, I know so I know that the this this version oh, I think I there it is. Sorry about that. I think it's okay, I made the noise for you. <laughs> I think that this um this version will appeal to today's generation, whereas I think the original Firestarter will appear uh, will appeal to us. It's sure. in no way a bad movie, and it's visually stunning and very, very good. Just uh, I, it, it, the one big thing, the one big thing. Oh, dang it! 
Uh, will you stop making my sneeze noises? <laughs> I'm muting myself for a reason. I know that's funnier. Is that was what funny. Did you say Scooby Dooby Doo? Sort of. <laughs> it was like a mix of Scooby Dooby Doo and uh, the Haruken from Ryu. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so I think the oh yes, Travis Brown says even myself cannot see Brian Cranston as Zordon from the 2017 Power Rangers film. <laughs> I see it. Yeah, that would be, if you ever if you've never seen uh, College Humor. And their Zordon is a racist. Sketch. It is absolutely it's hilarious. <laughs> you will so, be a yellow ranger. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> they seem to be lining up. Yep. I'm from Connecticut, uh, but the <laughs> <laughs> something, something, something terrible. I mean, when you go back and look at the Power Rangers, it's kind of fucked up how that happened. It, it right? is a little, it is a little weird. Black but guy, I will say rangers, this. You know. um, <clears throat> I will say this: it, it, the the new Firestarter has me concerned for the Christine remake. Yeah, you know, uh, I talked about this when we first heard they were going to redo right. Christine and Firestarter. I said, "Man, the here it comes again." Said, no, no. <laughs> uh, I everybody was like, "Oh, Firestarter is going to remake." And I was like, "Now I'm more worried about Christine because we did get the John Carpenter Christine. We did. It's." perfect the way it is it does not need to be remade nobody nobody has asked for this nobody okay Great. Don't need to do it stop it don't remake christine pull the I'm plug little, everybody i'm a little concerned if they if they yeah. deviate too much in order to try to make the storyline fit with today's kind of cinematic climate and what people are looking for i'm mm. now if if it goes the the flanagan way and, and and harkens to the original story and maybe plays a little bit into the shared universe, but only a tiny bit, and doesn't make the film inaccessible. I like that. I would I like that a lot. I don't want any shared universe. I Not whatsoever. I don't. I don't want a king multiverse. I know we already have one, right? We've already got one. They're all interconnected from Castle Rock all the way to it to to Christine. All that shit's inter intertwined, interconnected. 1920, yeah. or not 1922. 1922, yes, but the 1963, whatever, the, the JFK one, yes, I mean, that. but still, that's all that, that's that's all that we need. It's just like, oh, yeah, uh, did you hear about those kids in Derry? That's it. That's all we need. I don't want a King multi Yeah. Fucking MCU <laughs> have to go and ruin it for everybody else. Let them do, let MCU do their thing. You don't have to copy them. Right. So I see Mr. Malord has joined us all the way from Chicago. Good to see you, Mr. Malord. Also, another one of our amazing patrons. Thank you so much for being here, bud. And Anna uh, Anna says, Johnny O, what? Breaking Bad is one of the best TV shows ever. I'm not saying it's a, a bad show. I'm saying I couldn't get into it because I could, at the time, right? At the time that it first came out, I could not separate those that character. Yeah. Brian Cranston was just that goofy <laughs> dad from Malcolm in the Middle. It was He was great in Malcolm in the Middle. It was so funny. And, you know, he's a great actor. Don't get me wrong. He's a phenomenal just, actor, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just couldn't separate it. Like me, that's a me thing, right? So that's not saying that it was a bad show or he he was terrible in it. I just couldn't. I would just look at him and laugh and giggle. Let's like, see oh, I'm not going to be Mill's dad. Grew up become a fucking meth dealer. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Charlie Welch says, I'm a fire starter. Twisted fire starter. <laughs> have you seen that without music? I have not. It's so fucking funny <laughs> to check that out <laughs> aaron reese says these remakes are about as good as are as about as good an idea as renewing your vows if you didn't fuck it up the first time then you should just leave it alone <laughs> on that note i better go renew. 
<laughs> Charlie Welch's 112263 is one of my favorite books ever. It's it was really, really good. It's a yeah. really good one. One of the few King novels that actually ends really well. Right. And and, and he says, Christine was a, was great, please. Don't fuck it up. Uh, yeah. That's that's yeah. the hope. You know, but now given even though Firestarter wasn't bad, it wasn't a bad movie. I, maybe, maybe, yeah, exactly. It may just be that I'm a fan of the old one and I'm more familiar with it and I'm familiar with the book. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know. But at least I can't say this. The cast did not do their best to replicate the performances of the cast before them. It wasn't like she was trying to do her best Drew Barrymore. You know, it, w- it wasn't like they were trying to copy anything. The, the, at least they did that, which was really, really good. Because ultimately, that, like, that's what killed Superman Returns. That and terrible writing, terrible plot, terrible yeah. everything else. Yeah. But then, of course, the acting on that. Let's do our best Gene Hackman. Let's do our best Christopher Reeves. Like, nah, yeah. at least try to make it your own. Uh, Joshua Lee, yes. Answer your question. Yes, 1974. They had the Terminal Man, Terminal Man. Um, film. Yep. How good is it? Mm. Could uh, that one be remade? I think so. Any, any. Uh, you should watch Malcolm in the Middle. It is it's actually hilarious. quite funny. You know what? Especially now that your introduction to Brian Cranston. I'm not sure if it was, but if your introduction to Brian Cranston was Breaking Bad, that's like watching. Uh, that's a few good men, and that being your introduction to Jack Nicholson, and then watching fucking anger management. <laughs> you can't true. handle the truth. <laughs> it was it's it, it was his facial expressions oh, in the cards, like la 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 la. And then just Adam Sandler. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I always tell people if you want to get a really good idea of how good Jack Nicholson is, you need to watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Shining, uh, A Few Good Men, and uh, the we just Ang- anger management. Anger management. Yeah, watch those four films. I see Eugene is in here just in time because Aaron Reese said Eugene needs to get his ass on stream. I'm off the goddamn clock here. <laughs> 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 you know, I got to be fashionably late. Absolutely. As, as the sex symbol, you're entitled to do you're so. Absolutely. 30 minutes. And uh, Charlie Welch says, Goose from a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny in that role. He's so funny. <laughs> Commander Darklight's announced another one of our amazing patrons. Thank you so much for being here, Commander Darklight. We do appreciate it. Uh, Charlie Welch, you are correct. He was excellent and as good as it gets yeah. with Helen Hunt. Yep. Um, that was a great movie. And UKPI says, just watched Nail Gun and was very impressed. Well done, guys. We can't wait till we can do the full size version because what you saw was the short. So, yeah. Yes, yes. We've we, we've been working to try to get that made. That's that's our goal. Yes. So very All good. right. So hopefully, uh, Gene has some things to tell us in the after show because, damn it, you never know. Maybe. Uh, so we, I also want to take this opportunity to remind everybody in the live chat this month. We celebrate our 30th bloodbath debate. Number 30. We've been doing this 30 months. 30 months of bloodbath debates. And this next one is going to be huge. It is going to be our first Royal Rumble. Our first Battle Royale. Royal Rumble probably get me in trouble. But uh, our first Battle Royale. And it will be killer kids in movies. So the horror icons. Everyone. Everyone with Weekend Horror. And that is me, Eugene, Johnny O, Alex, Aaron, and uh, Angela will all be representing their own horror icon. And we, we are going to be doing the event live on YouTube. I will schedule that up. You'll see it. Hit your notifications when we go live. And we're going to bring on a couple of special guest uh, judges from the Patreon to come and uh, pretty much suss out who wins this one. Because it's going to be, you know, 
all of us against one no, another. No, this is going to be the easiest debate win you've ever had. <laughs> I'm expecting a massacre. I, mean, I don't know about that. You know, you keep playing, you keep like downplaying the fact that you got Damien out of all. Look, I got Mikey. You haven't watched the movie yet. I don't need to watch the movie. Yes, Mikey you do. You need to watch Mikey. the movie. Mikey is not the son of Satan. Damien doesn't have any powers. He doesn't need powers. <laughs> <laughs> Tell anyway. it to the babysitter. Right. Anyway, so, but we want to remind everybody that the Bloodbath debate is going to be May 29th. It's going to be Sunday. So look for that update. Look for that uh, update to come to the notifications so you can come and join us live and see us do a live Bloodbath debate. See all the cool things that we do in order to set it all up and, you know, you get to see how, how they are made. Instead of just listening to the audio after the fact, now you get to see us do it live here. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I want to show everybody something because this recently just hit the wire before we kick Real in. Quick, before we do that, Josh oh, okay. asks uh, a very important question about oh. the bloodbath. Who are the kids? Oh, yeah. Who's got which kid? The kids on the list that will be a part of the bloodbath debate is Johnny O will be rep- will be representing Mikey from the horror movie Mikey, the ten year old psychopathic serial killer. Um, Alex will be representing Henry from The Good Son, another little serial killer or bird, you know, budding serial killer. Before he met the power of love and friendship in uh, Elijah Wood. Uh, <laughs> and a cliff. And, and a cliff, yeah. So <laughs> I, I will be representing Damien from The Omen. Eugene not has got. not about that at all. Did you yeah, uh, Eugene like, has yeah. got Esther from the Orf- from Orphan. I'm sorry. And Aaron has got Rhoda from The Bad Seed, who herself is also a little serial killer. And Angela has got Isaac from Children of the Corn. See, I feel like. I, I feel like the two. <laughs> Demon wielding. There's a fix. There's a fix in here somewhere. No, because because Isaac doesn't have any powers either. He's just extremely. He's just extremely. He is the the Joel Austin. He is of the the, 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 the Kenneth Copeland who walks between the rows, motherfucker. <laughs> but, the, but he who walks between the rows, who is, is actually, if you're a Stephen King fan, he who walks between the rows is walks by. He who walks behind the rows is actually Randall Flag in another Flagg, form. Yeah. But huh. he doesn't but actually he, give Isaac any power. You know what? We you better stop before we get we get. Off track. I, I see. I'm just saying, like, out of all the kids, who are you more scared of? Right. You know who's scared of Esther? No one. Nobody. <laughs> just kick just kick that bitch in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I kick her in your face. Well, there goes my argument. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, no, no. The, I tell you, honestly, honestly, of all the kids on the list, I I would be, of all of them, I would be the most scared of Mikey. Fuck off. <laughs> watch, I'm telling you, watch the damn movie. Watch the movie. And Aaron Reese says, that's a lot of dead kids. <laughs> I'm not saying that. That's, 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 so fucked. <laughs> that's fucked up. That's so fucked up. I'm not even going to finish that line. <laughs> that's twisted as fuck. So before we jump into tonight, uh, before we jump into uh, uh, this up tonight, I have something that I want to share with everybody. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but we're gonna watch it real quick. So uh, check this out: the teaser trailer for Prey just dropped. Oh, I saw this, I saw and it. Oh. we're gonna check it out right now. I haven't seen it yet. See, that's just not fair. <laughs> <laughs> At least in the first one, they had Arnold Schwarzenegger and. Fucking Jesse the Body Ventura and 
all these fucking jacked motherfuckers. And in the second one, they had Danny Glover. In the second one, they had Danny Glover <laughs> and <laughs> Danny Hard, Glover Hard. with a with a really big handgun. <laughs> yeah, my goodness, carrying a three fifty seven Magnum with a scope on it. Like, why the fuck do you need a scope on your Magnum? What the fuck? Just point and shoot that motherfucker. Take care of everything. But yeah, uh, and predators versus Native Americans. Right. You guys get a bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and and, it, and it's not a movie. It's premiering on Hulu. Yep. Yep. See, yeah. I would want to see something like that in the theater, though. Right? Okay, you come over to my house. I'll show you my theater. theater. And Joshua Lee, Joshua Lee says the font gave it away. Actually, I would say the targeting reticle is yeah. what gives it away. <laughs> not to mention the mouth breathing, I can snore while awake. Thing, oh, the clicking, the, the clicking, the. <laughs> so I'm very curious. CPAP. Come on. I am seriously curious. I don't know. I, I the very little details have been released about this, but the that, that was the teaser, and I think it should be. I I don't know. Hopefully it'll be good. Um, but of course we'll be waiting for it. So yes, a new yep. entry in the Predator franchise, going back to the past, and of course Predator versus Native Americans. <laughs> I, maybe. Danny was too old for that. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua, you, you, wait, you mean uh, Billy? No, 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 no. Commander Darkness is Danny oh. was too old for that. Can you talk about Danny oh, Glover? Danny Glover. Yeah. Okay. I'm too old for this shit. You know? I'm getting too old for this shit. Yeah. And Joshua Lee says, come on, dude, kill me. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> kill me. <laughs> what are you I'm waiting here. for? <laughs> come on, Man. kill me. And then when he walks around the trap and he's just like, Oh, damn. It's like, oh, shit. The look on Schwarzenegger's face was priceless. Like, but that was part of his plan. <laughs> but still, still the fact that he had it there and that he, he's like, nah, I'm going to walk around the trap. And he was like, shit. <laughs> Everything about that movie where he takes a lock and hits a predator and a predator just blocks it and it's like, bad idea. <laughs> bad. Oh, yeah. When he hits it with the lock, just boom. Yeah. Bad boom. idea. <laughs> Kid that he gets fucking molly whopped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love it. Oh, it's just it's, it's, it's like oh shit. Yep. And it was such a better choice. Instead of trying to go fast, instead of doing speed versus strength, they just went fuck this. Don't go. Don't don't do something faster than Schwarzenegger. Do something bigger than Schwarzenegger. Something really is like, and that's why I think I think that movie worked, especially for 1986. Having something bigger and more powerful and just nastier than Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, the dude was Conan, you know, and so forth. So, yeah, he was Hercules. And no, no, the alien's going to whoop his ass. <laughs> just slap him around like a bitch. <laughs> and Mr. Malort would like you to know it was a double Eagle 44 mag in Predator, Predator 2. Or Desert Eagle. Desert, Desert Eagle, Eagle 44 mag. Desert Eagle 44 mag in Predator 2 with a, with a scope. Didn't, didn't I say it was a magnum? No, you said it was a 357. 357 magnum, yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter. You're shooting a fucking truck, okay? <laughs> you don't need your goddamn scope. Travis Brown says then the next one, Predator versus Caveman. And then uh, Aaron Reese says Predator versus Five Monkeys with Sticks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I get the reference. I get the reference. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yes. The, so, I wanted to check out the uh, show. You guys, the the, the prey uh, teaser, and I thought you know, hear what y'all thought about it. We're all cautiously kind of interested. Josh Lee says Predator versus the Primordial Ooze. <laughs> Predators versus apparently, dinosaurs. 
That would be good. That's how we got humans, though. No, wait, that wasn't predators, aliens. Never mind. Scratch that. That's the black. That's the black ooze. That's the black. Yeah, that's a different. That's, well, no, that's, technically, I guess same universe, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Oh, we, we we're gonna go on too long about that. Triggered Limey's in the house. Good to see you, Triggered Limey's. Says hello, you beautiful bastards. Good to see you, Triggered Limey. Thanks so much for being here. As is Diagnosis Horror, aka Nerd Journals, in the house. Is Predator <laughs> versus Jurassic Park? Yeah. Yes. I would pay so good, yep. so much good money to see that. And you throw in like Chris Pratt and Ian Malcolm and so like long that. as Chris Pratt gets eaten. I'm fine with that. <laughs> not that I, I would not see. That I, I would pay Chris money. Pratt. I'd pay money to see Predator versus Dinosaurs. And then, of course, oh, oh, so we got a, a bunch here. Predator versus Monkeypox. Predator and Jurassic <laughs> Park 7. Predator versus Ewoks versus Shrek. Ooh, and Ewoks all the way. The, Ewoks. Ewoks all the way. Yeah. And you, re, you realize, when you brought up to me, that at the end of Return of the Jedi, when they're all celebrating, the Empire's been defeated, and they're doing the party in the little Ewok village, you know, there are the, 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 the remnants of Stormtrooper... How, like, you know, their armor and stuff. They're using, yeah. like, the helmets as, like, drums and shit like that. Yeah. It's a xylophone. They, yeah. they, they ate those stormtroopers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ewoks are carnivorous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were about to eat the heroes. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. You know, actually, another movie I would see was I would love to see a movie where the Ewoks hunt the rest of the stormtroopers. Hmm. Oh, that, like mercenary Ewoks. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's like, boom, the Death Star blows up, and it's the seat blow up, and so they're like, they're, now they're stranded on this planet. Maybe from, like, a Stormtrooper perspective. Yeah. And, like, now they're that stranded That would be a great horror movie. No help. And the Ewoks know they're there, so they came to finish them off. That would be a great horror movie. Like, the last, the last Stormtrooper battalion is left, and there's only a few, and they get slowly picked off one by one, all super stealth style. Man, that would be so good. Oh, he walks. All right. Okay. So we got some movies to jump into tonight. Yep. What do we got up first? Yes. Let's kick this off. So, oh, whoops. You know what? I totally screwed up. <laughs> I don't have my notes up. Oh, Haley, oh Haley, that's such a good transition. Haley brings up a good point. I think she's a little a little behind in the uh, in the show, but she brings up a good point. It says Esther wasn't a kid. That's what okay. A lot of them have that. That's the whole thing. She was posing as a child, and she has the physicality of a child. Then I want to trade mine in for uh, for. All of them have their little things that give them an edge. But that that's the whole point is that Esther cannot hold her own in a straight up straight up straight up fight with an adult. Yeah, because she's she's got the body and the physicality of a child. So she may have the mind. She's got the mind of an adult. But the body of a child. So she's stuck there. Everyone's got their little edge. But you can get around those edges if you think about it. You can get around those edges if you're the son of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, so I, I'm not I'm, I'm not saying that I'm going to win this. In fact, I think I'm going to lose this, this bloodbath debate. I really do. We're going to find out. Oh, I'll organize a trade right now. <laughs> anyway, all right so what we got jail yes the first one we got we're going to talk about that released may 29th 2009 and it is the canadian horror film pontypool let's check out this trailer interesting name it is an interesting name wow. 
Alright, that was the trailer for Pontypool. So, Pontypool, directed by Bruce McDonald, screenplay by Tony Burgess, based on Pontypool Changes Everything by Tony Burgess, and starring Stephen McHattie, Lisa Huell, Georgina Riley, Grant Alienak, Rick Robertson, Boyd Banks. Um, this film uh, follows, uh, for those who haven't seen it, uh, this film follows a, sh a shock jock kind of like on his last leg, who's been hired by a Canadian, uh, a small uh, Canadian radio uh, show to host their morning show, their morning traffic show. And it's kind of like his last opportunity because he's been kicked off of, kicked off of or fired from every show before. And so he brings his usual kind of shock jock persona there and then begins a normal day right into the middle of some sort of un you know very very weird viral outbreak and you know and of course things get insane but the movie is this isn't this was a very interesting film and I, I i will say i am kind of bummed that i put off watching this movie for so long because i kept i kept i kept i, I looked at the name pontypool and it didn't it didn't strike me and then I looked at yep. like the the images and I was kind of like, okay, I like Stephen McHattie. I've always been a fan of Stephen Stephen McHattie, but it just something wasn't grabbing me until eventually this came up and I was like, you know what? Actually, I watched it a few weeks before and I sat down and I was like, and I was bored and I was watching the dogs and I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to sit down and watch this movie. And holy shit, I was deeply deeply impressed. The and the key key point. The writing on this because it, it really is a minimalist horror. Yeah, it's this is this was something I really enjoyed this movie because actually at first I thought I was like, oh well, some like radio show and then it's like a zombie outbreak or something. That's kind of what I went into it. And the thing is, is that it's not zombies. It's it's not zombies at all. And the thing is, is I won't go into too much detail in terms of like the infection process, but you always figure zombies, oh, well, they bite you or something like that. It was something that is like, oh, well, if you don't get bitten, you're okay. But th this is something that you couldn't avoid. And it was something you didn't necessarily have to have contact to get infected. And that's what makes it more scary because there's really nothing you can do as it spreads um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It all takes place in one radio station. And one of the things that really impressed me was the fact that it mainly takes place in one radio station and they're able to pull out enough shots to keep you interested because it starts off with like a 15, 20 minute radio show. Yep. Right. And the a variety of shots, the excellent camera movement. I really enjoyed the way it was lit. And it keeps you entertained and it keeps you engaged the entire time. Um, in terms of the characters, you only really have, you have the three people who work at the radio station and then a doctor that appears like halfway through. And that's well, don't pretty discount much. The, don't discount the, the uh, chopper guy. He's the, 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 yeah, yeah, that was a phenomenal voice work. Yeah. The, uh, all yeah, of that. I was, was, I was fixing was, to get yeah. into it. Right. Oh. Uh, we have with the chopper. Um, and the thing is, you can really feel with the chopper, and then I think it was like Ken, the other guy who worked at the station. Yeah. Um, like he was like the station manager or something, which you you never see him, but he's you hear him. He calls him at the show. Um, but it's able to they're really able to paint a word picture on what's going on outside without actually showing anything. You can and it hear. doesn't feel like exposition. Exactly. As it's yeah. getting more information, as as you're. As it's moving forward, it's not exposition. It's exposition-y. It doesn't. It's not force feeding you. 
Um, there's even some misinformation because they don't really know what's going on. Right. And it's just excellent moments. Yeah. The strength in this rely. I mean, rely. This is this is where. This is where, and see, Mr. Moore brings up Airheads was filmed in one station. And you're right, it, that was, but there was a, so much more to what was going on. Because in that movie, oftentimes you left the station to deal with the cops outside, to deal with varying situations right. around. In this particular movie, everything is set within the confines of the station. There are maybe two shots that are outside, and the, the difference is because it's so early in the morning, it's nothing but dark outside. So it's just like when he's dry when when uh, yeah. Stephen McCaddy's character is driving into the uh, station, it's it's dark and it's snowing because it's six a.m. and the or he's getting ready to go on to a six a.m. show, so it's still dark out, and he's driving up and it's snowing outside and that's it. Then he gets inside. Then we have literally three spaces. We've got the recording booth, we've got the producers booth, and then we have the hallway that kind of like leads out of the station. That's that's it. It's a tiny little broadcast center. And then for them to be able to move between the three locales and really give us give us so much depth for three very small rooms, and it's it, it's all in the and from what I saw, it's all in the cinematography, it's all in the angles and how they play that because every angle reveals a little bit more because as we get further and further into it and the characters are driving the story because it's very character driven, it's extremely well written. The the action what we see re it reveals the space. Every single new cut or the new way of looking at it reveals more about our characters by revealing more of their workspaces, which I found to be really, really interesting. And you're right. All of the ADR work, everything coming in, whether it was misinformation or it's, you know, it's like panic information, they're only getting bits and pieces, doesn't feel like exposition. And it legitimately feels like you're like you could be listening to this as like, like a broadcast. And I really, really love that. And that's where the minimalism plays to this. And for anyone, even though it doesn't get super gory and doesn't get like out of this world, I mean, there are a couple of really gross moments, but it's an intriguing premise that will grab you just because it's got that slow burn and that minimalist effect that they maximize their use of with really, really smart camera work, some fantastic ADR and some stellar fucking writing. So Eugene brought up a point that it's not it's not a zombie flick, but it it, it really is, right? I think I mean, it I think it's kind of along the lines of like the signal, you know, the signal or cell, something of that. Now, like that. Yeah, I mean, but if we break it, if we break break it down, it's it's a it's an infection movie. People are attacking people because they're infected. How they get infected, right? The particulars, like the, the specifics. I mean, ultimately, when we're looking at it, it is a zombie. It is a zombie film. So to speak, um, at the very like the very meat and potatoes of it, but it's a minimalist infection style film. We'll call it so we don't you know call it a zombie film, which is very difficult to do. It, because it really what are is. the like if you look at all infection like the crazies, um, uh, twenty eight days later, what what do all those films have in common? You see the infected. Right. Those are big features in the film to help drive the suspense and the fear. Whereas in this movie, you don't get a whole lot of that. You, you know what I saw? You know, now that you bring that up, a, a, a major component of zombie films is typically people getting cornered into small spaces and getting right. trapped. You don't want to get trapped. You don't want to get surrounded. You don't right. want to get cornered. You don't want to wind up in a small space because then you're stuck. And so when you're stuck in that small space and you're in this bad environment, 
that's that's the worst. But this one was almost the reverse because you have people who go to work and it's their natural environment to be in this small right. confined space. An interesting aspect of of, of McCaddy's character of the character of uh, Grant Mazzy and he, God Stephen McCaddy was so good in this fucking role. He, I mean, the the way he played both his on air persona and his off air persona, juxtaposing them together was just fantastic. And the the wonder of this is that you're in the middle of this epidemic or this this infection that that's spreading and is wild, wildly out of control. You hear about bar- barricades being broken down, people going insane, tearing each other apart, and everything. You're only getting this information, and he is most comfortable when he is in that tiny little booth. Right. Well, he's that's, in that enclosed booth. Work. It's his home, right? Yeah. So I mean, he's you in think this- about it. How, I mean, when you when you work a when you work a job, you spend more time at work than you do at home. I mean, if you just realistically, like most people no. go home to go to sleep, right? And they get up and go back to work, right? So they spend most of their waking time at work. So that's where he's going to feel the most comfortable. And you're right. It, this is kind of a reverse from you know, like oh, we got to get from the you know, we're in this big open spaces, and now we're confined and confined and confined. And I was like, no, we want to start confined, small space. Right. By the and way, the fear, a, the fear, and the fear. Time caller, long time listener, Alex. Someone, good to see you. Thank you for stopping by. Oh, Alex, someone, thank you so much for being here. We yes, do appreciate thank you. it. And and I dug and I dug that instead of trying to get you know like instead of you know, because in zombie films typically you have people trying to find places to hide right. and then those get overrun and they have to you know and then they they try to find the next place to hide whereas in this place they're starting off in the place to hide that's where they're most comfortable and it's all about because every time they get closer to the outdoors they get more, uh, more things get they get more vulnerable and more nervous. And things get more intense. And then they get, when he's sitting in that booth, especially when they got the door locked and everybody's just sitting there, he's in control. You mean, the minute they push him out of that, it's like, I don't know what to do. It's right. like, I, I, I'm not in my element. And I love that reversal. And like I said, it's a very, like uh, I think someone in the live chat stated um, very well that diagnosis horror. The movie is well-written, well-directed, well-acted, and well-shot. It's just a really smart horror movie with a modified zombie style. Yep. And I, yeah. and that's what made it so intriguing. And now I look back and the idea of Pontypool, and I actually had to look that up. For those who are um, unfamiliar, Pontypool uh, was written by uh, – Pontypool Changes Everything, which was basically about how a plague – uh, causes people to slip into aphasia is essentially what it is, and it centers around um, it, ce- it centers around kind of like how language can be viral in that respect, and certain words spread, certain words become infectious and spread through audio through uh, audible communication. Mm-hmm. In the and in this particular one, it's the English language, which I found in the the the, the his Pontypool series is really really intriguing. But I really, really dug the concept here. And, of course, um, hopefully, there was kind of like a mirror movie. And this is what made it weird. This was so surreal. Is because it hasn't... <laughs> Charlie Welch, I'm sorry. Predator <laughs> versus Jesus, don't cross him. <laughs> anyway. So that, just, that just made me laugh. Ten points. So the... And, and there's a mirror kind of movie called Dreamland, which came out, which is kind of like... A weird, it, same same cast playing different characters, different kind of situation. It's really really strange. It's kind of weirdly connected to Pontypool. Um, not hundred percent sure, but nonetheless, um, this one was a really really solid one. And there's supposed to be a sequel coming up called Pontypool Changes, which is currently in active de- active de- development. Although not a lot of details are out about that. 
So, but we waited, uh, we waited a good while, so you know. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's plenty of time. Yeah. But what, but what I did like I did like the connections to like the 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 inspirations from Orson Welles' uh, radio broadcast of War in the Worlds. Sure. I dug that kind of thing because a lot because you know when when the news breaks. All of a sudden, people are coming to them, this tiny little radio show, to get more information. He suddenly finds himself in kind of like the the Orson Welles seat, where he's the person who has the most information, even though he himself is not the certain of that information. Yeah. Right. So like, well, we don't know, so we got to kind of go with what we got. And then watching, and then this was interesting, and I think this was kind of commentary, because everyone else, all the journalists around were coming to them for the scoop. Because they were, the, they were the first ones to hear about it. They're coming to them for the scoop, but they don't know. And then they get to sit back and give this scant information to everyone else. And then they get to turn around and hear that kind of like twisted in order to fit that. They're like, that's not what we said. That's not what was meant. They're just, they're, they're trying to fill in, giving out misinformation. So we get to see the spread of misinformation and how that itself can become yep. viral. There was a lot going on in this fucking movie. Yeah, Eugene, you were starting to say something a second ago. Yeah, so one one thing I've noticed when it comes to zombie movies, especially movies that focus on the outbreak at the very beginning, because zombie movies are so much alike, I always felt like I had more information than the characters. Because then all of a sudden, one character gets bit and he turns a zombie, and you're like, oh my god, he inspected, and you've seen a zombie movie, like, oh, he's gonna turn, oh, this is gonna happen. Like it yeah. was, it, it, you just see that so often in the zombie in the zombie genre. It was really nice to come across a movie where Johnny was talking about like the, the infection and how the infection is infection movie. How I legitimately didn't know how it spread, so it put me in the dark and it put me in the situation of them in the radio broadcast because I didn't have any more information than what they had. Right. And that's what really helped sell the movie. Yeah, re really did. Re it really, and it helped enhance that. Uh, so, in minimalist horror, the most important part is getting you invested in the characters, and you, because that's where the story happens, is within the characters. And this movie does a great job of making you focus on the characters, because, like Eugene said, we want to know what's going on. Uh, like JL said, where do you <clears throat> you generally went to trusted news sources for that kind of thing, and this just happens to be one that's still broadcasting, so that's what draws not only the the, the fictional people in the story, but it brings the audience in and to focus on these characters because that's what we're going to focus on. Like we we want to be invested in what's going on with these people because they're the ones giving us the information. It's not like, you know, in Dawn of the Dead where, you know, we know what's going on with zombies and whatnot, so we don't really need the The characters aren't there to give us a story. They're there to give us, you know, the action and the thrills. Whereas in this film, these characters have to give us a story and we have to be invested in, in what's going on. So, yeah, it's a really good way to drive that, that narrative. I really dug it. I think a lot of people will really, really enjoy this one. Um, apparently, some people have some issues with my with my nerdy rants. Apparently, and I have to. I have. I, oh, I promise. I'll try to ease. I'll try to ease back on the nerdy rants so that other people can get a word in edgewise. <laughs> they're they're all here to hear your nerdy rants. <laughs> look, 
Okay, look. Aaron Ray says jail warrants Church of the Holy Horror. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody here, like, okay, so here, here it is. I figured this out. Brothers and sisters. Yeah, brothers and sisters. <laughs> jail warrant will be on stage soon. But before we get there, <laughs> allow me to present to you the wonderful and sex symbol Eugene Hawkins. That's why people watch, right? Eugene's a sex symbol. He's cool. Yeah, He's got sure that. Is. Right, they listen to me because they want to hear me bah humbug them all the whole fucking time. Right, nobody wants to hear me say, Yeah, this is a good movie, I really like it. Like, no, fuck that movie, you, know? you fucking hated it, and tell us why you hated it. <laughs> they listen to Aaron because Aaron's got this quiet intelligence about him. Don't tell him I said that. Uh, they listen to Alex because Alex has got that kind of like that goofy nature that's really down to earth and cool to listen to. Because he's got like that, you know, Alex is a person you listen to because he sounds the most like you did whenever you were just a fan. You know what I mean? He's got really really good things to say. And the way he says them is like, he's, you know, I I could speak to that guy. He doesn't sound like he's trying to be, my farts don't stink. You know what I mean? Whereas JL. (laughs) (laughs) Every now and again, we have to remind JL that, yes, your farts do stink. (laughs) <laughs> they, they, they do they, that's why I'm in, I, I'm in the office alone <laughs> Angel Rivera good to see you thanks so much for being here says Eugene is so sexy he pole dances at the Holy Horror Church <laughs> yes he does you gotta pay I the bill to somehow you. gotta I pay got the bills <laughs> So that, but yeah, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this one. I know, I know, Johnny. I know you were gonna like this one because just because the minimalist style that it makes I love use, or yeah, it, it makes yeah. use of so much. And definitely anybody who is a who is a burgeoning filmmaker, take an opportunity to check this movie out. Not only is the acting, huh? yeah, it's a masterclass in how to tell a good story. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Strong writing, strong acting, and how to make the most of a very, very small space. So I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, I want to ask the audience, brings it to the audience, given that this is a viral-style movie, so it, it is kind of zombie-like, you know, some people call it a kind of a low-budget zombie film. I really think it's more of a viral shirt. Oh, sorry, I said shirt because Aaron Reed said shirt there. I think it's more of a viral horror. Sorry, he said, I just gave you your own shirt, which... Yep. I'm not sure. I think it's the the flipping people off. I I'm not sure. No, I think it's sure. the sparks. Which one? Oh, Church of Holy Horror. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I I consider this more of a viral horror. So I want to know you in the audience, you in the live chat. What is your favorite viral style horror? Whether it's something like the signal going out, like the signal or cell, or if it's you know some sort of virus, or you know if it's if Captain it's a trips. you. Know, something of that nature like if it's a disease or plague what is your favorite viral style horror let us know in the live chat or down there in the comments below or of course at weekendhorror at gmail.com all right eugene you have our oscar winner <laughs> i feel like this is two weeks in a row he's given you this shitty movie it's not so much the sh- what really this isn't the shitty movie <laughs> is there another movie worse <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, no, Eugene, you're doing the script in reverse. That's at the end of this. <laughs> so Travis Brown says, "Train to Busan, excellent choice, fantastic." Um, Trigger to Lime, he said, "2020." <laughs> <laughs> he ain't lying. 
ain't lying at all. Sarkaz yeah. says the crazies, either version, both fantastic. Yes, Aaron Reese says the happening, best nap of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony Regime says, does Andromeda strain count? Yes, it does. Yep. The Andromeda strain does count. So excellent choices. Fantastic. So yeah, um, Eugene, take us away, man. So farm where life we have a series of pictures put together in a certain order. <laughs> <laughs> and they call this order Track of the Moon Beast, which was released June 1st of 1976. Should have been April 1st. <laughs> Let's, check out this trailer tra- Let's check out the There is a trailer for it. Sort of. <laughs> Let's check it out. Half that trailer was the end of the movie. It was like the end of the movie. <laughs> because they had nothing else. The whole sequence with him firing the bow and arrow and the whoop, 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 whoop. That was, that was literally the end of the movie. <laughs> Woo. Johnny couldn't even watch it. Johnny had to step away. <laughs> All right. Oh. Track of the Moonbees, directed people. People just got give, together. Just give, them, just give them the names. Directed by Richard Ash, starring Chase. Who cares? Leah shouldn't have been in this movie. And Giorgio, I made an accident. <laughs> what this movie is is this is a basically a werewolf movie except it's not even a wolf he's a lizard because Man. it's a full moon and he turns into a lizard and i have this theory that the entire basis of the movie was because the indian wanted to sleep with the girlfriend really because if you think about it the Indian guy goes, hey, why don't you check this rock in and go study? Because the main guy's a geologist and gets infected, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you notice, he's always hanging around her and he's like being cuddly with her and all this other kind of stuff. Like they hold hands even at one scene while like her boyfriend, the infected guy, is still alive. And then at the very end, he conveniently has an arrow that kills the boyfriend. He's like, oh, it's a moon. I have a moon arrowhead, and he shoots and kills, and then he hugs her and takes her away. That's true. That's true. Yeah, in her, in her like nearly catatonic state, and she like throws her in the car, and then they like drive off. It was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that is my theory for the film. <laughs> That's intriguing. I like. I, I kind of dig that. I kind of see it. That the the uh, the Indian dude, the Indian dude had, or the Native American dude had ulterior motives. Are we done uh, with this one yet? Not yet. All right, be back. <laughs> so I think, and I, you know, what got me was you look at the you look at the monster, the like the monster sequence, and of course it's it's a lot of ah, you know, even even the Gorn, the Gorn in Star Trek looked better than this motherfucker, and because it was a lot of this, especially when it rips into the tent and they try to do like this, he's like ah, gets in the tent where he's going to kill a bunch of guys who were playing poker in a tent in the middle of nowhere. I'm not 100 percent sure why. But he busts in there, play poker. and all oh. I could see was ah, uh, like the, I can't see in this fucking costume. <laughs> That's all I could see is when he's like ah, I'm blind. <laughs> it was so ah, uh, it, it okay. It was incredibly the the film in and of itself is incredibly bad. Um, That's but we're gonna dive we're gonna dive into that. But this 
originally this this film had a very very and a really actually kind of a troubled uh, a troubled production. So, which may explain some of what you see, but I have my own theory as to why we see what we see in this movie. All right, before you give it to us, let us say a few things so we break up the monotony of hearing JL's voice to appease the. I'm just teasing JL. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so the okay, though, so the weirdest thing that got me about the that, that got me about this one, the first thing that struck me when I when I pulled this up and you know pulling the, the notes up on it and everything. This fucking movie was written by Charles Sinclair and Bill Finger. Anybody who's a comic book fan should recognize that second name as the co-creator of Batman. Batman, yeah. So, Bill Finger. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Kane gave him the finger. So, I thought that was weird. That it was just it was odd that this movie came out of that. And but but at first on its face, yeah. But then you you think about it. You think about the context of the movie in and of itself. It's very, very, it's very comic booky in how it's laid out. As a matter of fact, I would, ha- I would actually say that if you took this script, this script would actually translate better to a comic book and how it lays out visually in certain aspects and how the dialogue plays out. This shit is legit like a comic book turned into a movie. Even directly from the at, comic book itself. Look at the like the theatrical theatrical the yeah theatrical release poster. Look at the poster for the the, the film. It looks like right. a comic book. I mean, that it almost way, looks like some it looks like some like Boris Vallejo shit. To be honest, yeah. I mean, at least we won't have to sit through underexposed shots for half a movie. <laughs> and I thought that was the, that's why I think it didn't translate extremely well. Is is the uh, it, is that the person? Not to say that Bill Finger was a bad writer. Bill Fing, Bill Finger was a is a legend in comics, but this just goes to show that Bill Finger was not a did, did not he wrote comics. He didn't write screenplays. That was the biggest issue. So if if you like plan this out as like a, like a one shot, just like you know track of the moon beast, like like one like one of the old pulp. Uh, sci-fi comics that you would see like way like back in the back in bill fingers day right the things that just hit the newsstands like once every month this would make sense and you could see this from panel to panel to panel and you could see it in that format i think it works there this is stuff that you'd find in like the old strange tales and shit like that but trying to make a movie out of this yes triggered limey you're correct this is one finger that they shouldn't have pulled <laughs> <laughs> Yes, wrote it no last name. Just said would have made a decent single issue of Strange Tales or something of that, something of that nature. Yeah. This would Absolutely. have been great as a twenty-five to thirty-minute quick little short film type thing, but as a feature, well, that, and that was just not. it. It was it was a lot of moments when like okay, like all the weird moments of the of the lead actress of of what's her name um, of Leah Drake of Lee Drake. Like putting like uh, Chase Cordell's character, putting like putting him to bed, like acting like a mother. So if you look at these moments, but if you look at these moments, look at them as single snapshots. Take one frame out of that, and then put the dialogue bubbles in there. And I think that's what makes it work. And otherwise, it's a movie trying to add more to this, and then you're forced to put an exposition. That's why the timing is so bad. That's why that's so atrocious. Now, given how it could have worked. And how it probably did work as like a story in like Strange Tales or Astonishing or like Amazing World or uh, Amazing Tales or anything like that. Yeah. Or Amazing Stories. Uh, given that was given a cool that, with the plane and the, the wheels. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Drew the wheels on it and it landed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> given given that, 
given how it could have worked and, and then what we got here, I'm not sure why this movie got made. And I'm not sure who put the money forward to have this made unless it was, you know, Bill Finger was a driving force behind it. Of course, I can't find out a lot about it. I do know that it was it was produced by Ralph Desiderio and written by Bill Finger and it was filmed around New Mexico. And of course, uh, the, the issue of this one is that it got made and then it, set, it was originally filmed in 72. And then it sat on the shelf in pretty much in distribution hell, waiting to be picked up for like four years until it was released directly to television in 1976. So, uh, and yeah, it's it's a failure in every single way. It's it's cheap in you. I, I can't I can't I cannot express how cheap this fucking movie is. Yeah, yeah. This is cheap. Yeah. I mean. Cheap. <laughs> Aaron Reese says an overextended episode of The Outer Limits, and I agree. I, I, I would so, actually agree with that. Yes, you know, you... Uh, just as a uh, people talk, well, maybe it's because it was released in 1972. Uh, yeah, there wasn't. At least there wasn't any misogyny in it. I mean, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, you you, ha- you go back and look in in 1972 and see some of the films that came out, like, uh, oh, geez. When, what was Son of the Blob? No, it was the 80s. When, no, that was 1972. Son of the Blob came out. So you had some other, you had some other films out there that Night of the Lepus, that was the most amazing one that came out in 72. <laughs> Maybe it was just 1972 is really a shitty year for movies because that's Frogs came out in 1972. Frogs was awesome. Don't shit on Frogs. Must, uh, mustacheless uh, Sam Elliott is is just the, I mean, come on. He was just the hotness. That's. Well, well, let's see, the, the showcase is right there because if you look at even low yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out in 74, you, there there are low budget films that came out around the same time that look better. Yeah. Last House on the Left. Right. Well, I mean, I, give, that's, given, that's no excuse for the year. Given Wrangler, that's another one that came out in <laughs> <laughs> So the night. So yeah, the the movie is definitely a failure in virtually every single way, and it was you know it's kind of in line with like movies like the 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 great the giant spider invasion or the the crater lake monster. It's just kind of like these monster movies that were just generated in order to put stuff out there. The problem with this one is that at least with movies like the crater lake monster or the giant spider invasion or uh, various other like creature features that came out at that time. More effort was put into them. Yes, oh, Night of the Lepus was, um, uh, yes, Aaron Reese's Night of the Lepus is a masterwork of meta-commentary. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> the, kicker, the, the kicker about this one, and what gets me, is that the film was a colossal failure on almost every single, on almost every single aspect. From pre-production all the way to post, that this movie was fucked up. This movie, like, everybody dropped the ball in almost every single way. From, I mean, from from the aspect ratio they shot in, to the way they lit their scenes, to the sets that they used, to the special effects, to the to the uh, to uh, to the ADR and subsequences, everything was bad. And you gotta wonder, money went into this, and I'm looking at this from a business perspective. So money goes into this, and say I'm a producer, and I'm producing this movie, and this, and then I'm seeing dailies every single day because the process doesn't change, no matter how small your movie is. You shoot stuff that day, then you watch the dailies to see what's going on to see if you need to determine reshoots or how you're going to edit it. You make notes. This is part of the process. The problem is, is that you've got the director, you've got the editors, you've got the producers watching these dailies saying, we're signing off on this. 
that we're giving this the thumbs up. Either nobody on this fucking movie knew how to make a movie, or like like it was like, well, I guess this this, this looks good to me. But you look at the names involved, and no, these people had have experience in the industry. It wasn't like this was their one and done. They all come from a background. So the question is, how did this happen? And I, this is my theory, is that is that they started the film, and it started out literally day one so fucking bad. I can't confirm this anywhere. It starts out so fucking bad that they deliberately swerved, turned into this uh, you know, turned into the swerve. It's like, whoa, this is going to be really bad. So you know what? Let's just, let's just, you lean know, just, into just, it, just lean into it. Lean into it and just own it. Just own how bad it's going to be and just, just, just go with it. Which is why the movie doesn't, it, it actually lacks the sense, it doesn't take itself that seriously. It doesn't. I better well, not. Well, it's like, one of the really nervous things, and I always get nervous in terms of directing or doing cinematography, is when you get the first shot, you can talk and you can go through and you can process. Okay, well, this is where you're going to shoot, and this is like your lighting and all. You, you everything's like in the. But when you finally actually get to set on yep. day one and you light it and you film your first shot, and then now at that point the actual style is locked in. Like this is right. what your film is going to look like. I'm always super nervous about the very first shot, and hopefully it's like, okay, this is this looks good. This looks how I want it to be, and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of for the rest of the project. Right. And you get something like this where you finally go and you set it up and you look at it, and it could be something where it's so bad that not necessarily steer into steer into the curve, but it's so bad that everybody gives up. Yeah, we can't fix. Uh, okay, it. there's no fix here. Just fucking finish it. Yeah, and it's like we're already here. We're already committed. However many days it took to shoot, it's like we're already committed yeah. for three weeks, for a month of shooting this thing. It's things looks atrocious. It's bad. So it's like we stuck here anyway. Let's just get through the process. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, everything along the lines. When once you once those first ones come in, you realize that your lighting is bad, your sound is bad. You've got to do ADR in some places, and the ADR comes out bad. Your writing is shit. And you should know you're writing a shit beforehand, right? Exactly. <laughs> but then again, I maybe maybe it was it maybe good. maybe just the acting was just that fucking bad. Well, because see, bad that, acting can make good writing sound bad. Yes, but good fil- good directors and good editors can make bad acting look. Who said anybody on this was good? Well, so that's, like, <laughs> that's the point that I was again. That's the point that I was trying to make here is I don't think anybody was looking at the dailies, not when they were supposed to, not on a daily basis. Right. They were treating dailies like they were probably monthlies. I mean, that could that could have been it. If you think of it's 72, so shot on actual film, you have to kind of run it through and process it to watch it. Yeah. And maybe they're just like, eh, we, we know what we're doing. And then Yeah, we've done uh, this before. Or, yeah, right. So that, that kind of leaves the big question. Okay, when you're trying to make a monster feature, and I, I don't know... I, I see what they were trying to do with the with the lizard monster in and of itself. The problem is, is that the lighting was so dark, it was like watching Godzilla again. You could barely see the damn thing, and it was like, come on, guys, at least have moments where you have really, really solid light. At least, at least do something similar to like what they what they would uh, they did in the Descent, you know, where we've got at least the key moments that are well lit. 
But I think that that monster in and of itself didn't look good under any circumstance. So they had to go the silver bullet route where they rarely ever lit the werewolf. Because it, when it was fully lit, it didn't look like a werewolf. It looked like a fucking bear. So it looked silly. So instead of doing that, everything was just dark. But then again, that's poor lighting in and of itself because it wasn't just the monster that was poorly lit. Everything was poorly lit. The, the, the light scenes were not well, were not well handled. And of course the dark scenes were even worse. So, because they felt like literally filming at night takes a lot of planning as far as your lighting goes in order to convey darkness while still being able to see everything. Everything, yeah. So it was extremely. Uh huh. And because we're talking about in terms of filming in darkness, and so one thing is, is you have you you get film strips that have certain sensitivity. They're what's called like ISO. So you'll get a number, and based off of what your shooting conditions are that day, is the type of film that you would use. So you mm. use a film strip that's a little bit more sensitive to light for your night scenes on it. Mm. Well, with this, they probably got the cheapest, which is maybe for for, and that's all they had to work with, right? And it shows. It's just you know that that, that this is what this is where the question comes in. The question ultimately comes in is that when you are the directing something, when you when you because as the director, you're not always involved in it from the from the very from like the creation of the project itself typically you know professionally directors are brought in after the fact we have the the studio they have a project they're ready to go with it and then they then they start putting everybody into place and so then they find a director that they either you know they have on contract or they owe a particular picture to or they have an upcoming you know a new director that they need to throw a film or in this case a director they really don't like or a director they don't like and so they throw (laughs) so they so they say okay so you know we're hiring you for this movie and he says okay i'll direct this movie he gets in there and things start falling they realize things are not wheel have fallen off the the wheels were never on yeah right he came out in the bus with the bus was wheelless in the dirt on jacks right okay and you know and fucking uh the fuck fucking... I want to carry on the wheels fire. Yeah, this is on fire. It on You walk on. You walk in day one. You're like, oh. yeah. Well, the, I mean, the director got to the set and realized, like I said, the wheels are off the van, and fucking Roger Corman is running off with your goddamn rims into the night to use them on his production. So at least they're more enjoy- <laughs> so they're more enjoyable over there. Right. So the problem being, when you are in that position, whether you're a director. Or what, actors don't really have much power once they're once they're contracted to a movie. They pretty much have to do what they do. The only thing they could get them off is if they is if something happens and they feel upset, they, they feel in danger, or so something goes something along those lines. But typically, actors really don't have the power when they're when they're already contractually obligated. But directors do, and so do producers. A producer or a studio can shut a movie down in a heartbeat given the right circumstances. Because it, for them, from their uh, from their uh, point of view, it's all about money. So when you find yourself in this in the seat as a director, okay, and you sit here and you watch what's happening in front of you, you look at what you the tools you have to work with, and you feel like you're in fucking Apollo thirteen where you have to build the the fucking uh, the filter yeah. out of the components in the damn shuttle in, in the in the fucking lem. What the okay? I myself have never found myself in this position solely because. Everything I've ever directed, I was also producing, and I was supplying. So I was I was in charge of everything. So any failures were directly on me because I was the one doing... I, I was the above the line. Like, everything above the line. And so... But in this situation, that that's not the case. So the question then becomes, as a director, what do you do? 
Do you just so, sit back, enjoy the ride, or? <laughs> it's kind of funny because Eugene and I were recently was recently on a project that didn't really have a director, and the wheel started to fall off the bus often. And I mean, credit to Eugene and myself. Not to say that people were like just. No, I mean, I'm not trying to talk shit about these people. You know what I mean? It was just certain things happen that put people in a bad position where, it, it, you know, Eugene is supposed to be, he's supposed to be protecting the quality of the shot. And now he's being pulled away from that to make sure that, like, the direction is going the right way, right? And I'm supposed to be protecting the quality of the lighting, and I'm being pulled to help Eugene with shot list and direction. So, <clears throat> you know, I, it's just, it seems awfully strange when you get you would think that these people would have the ability to put on multiple hats in a situation like this right to be able to get the project done and done in a way that's going to be it's not just passable but at least presentable yeah so i've i've actually been in this situation and it was a bad movie and i'll I'll admit i directed it was a bad movie uh back it's about five or six it had a little bit of funding and it's good when it, you can admit you can admit it, you know. Oh yeah, it's like, always yeah. terrible. The only thing I got out of it, the poster looks amazing. I love that poster. <laughs> it is that poster's on my IMDb, and I'm like, look at that. People are like, man, can I see it? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no. Yes, you just did. You saw the poster. That's yeah, all. Yeah, like, that's it on it. Hey, and like I said, it was a lot of a lot of really really bad stuff. It was a great learning experience that I was able to learn a lot of lessons, and it's helped me out in film since then where even the one johnny was talking about is recognizing some a few of those things and we were able to work through and we're still able to get some really good footage and it looks really great and i'm really excited about it but i mean this this was project was it came down it was a lot of miscommunication to begin with um i was work i was used to working with certain there were still good people on it but a certain quality of people and stuff weren't able to deliver what they said they they're able to deliver get to the point where it's just like a you're almost you're almost in like salvage mode like you're this like okay yeah it's not going to be great but maybe we can get scenes out of it okay yeah. well we don't have a great complete scene maybe we can get some good shots and i have like a couple of shots still on my reel fantastic but <laughs> other other than that, and it almost it sucks it out of you because you want to something good and you want to carry your weight and you want to do a good job. And when it's basically the plane is going down or the ship is sinking, <laughs> and no matter how hard you're working, turn the upside ship is down. Remember, that's all you got to do is turn it upside down. See that that's 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 my that's my my gut instinct. My gut instinct is just when it's going down like that, just fucking just the band played on. It sucks when it's going downhill and you have like five production days left. Yeah. And you're just Ugh. like, because you still got to get up early. You still got to set up the gear. You still got to go through everything. You're just like, oh, that's where it can be draining. <laughs> you think we need a pickup shot? No. no, no what are we gonna not. pick up? No. The entire fucking movie? <laughs> Just can this shit and get out of here. Um, I did want to address because Aaron he he asked a question. Uh did they just write above their budget? Um in the comment section. Maybe. <sighs> I feel like the 70s though, they were giving out 
a decent amount of money to make films, even to unknown and newer filmmakers, especially on creature features, because we had a lot of them. Right. Yeah, I just really think it was a mismanagement. Of, yeah, go it's ahead. difficult to say because unless, and I mean, unless the money they got, a lot of that was embezzled out of the uh, the 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 freaking production fund, which I mean, happens a lot. Which, uh, it, I mean, back in the day, especially, it happened a lot where you get like so much money in order you get like you secure like maybe one million, one point two, one point five, and then all of a sudden you find out you're only working with seven fifty because one of your producers ran off with most of your budget. You're like, oh shit. Yeah, hookers um, and blow. Yeah, hookers and blow. Yeah, or something, something of that nature happened. It, it, and it happens. You know, I mean, I don't know, but something definitely went wrong in this movie, and it was, it was bad, 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 bad. So you watch it, it for the, watch it for the enjoyment of just being, man, this movie is bad, and you could probably pick up your iPhone and shoot something a hell of a lot better. Yep. But yeah. there's a, there's a question that begs to be asked, Eugene. What is that question? <laughs> <laughs> there anything worse than this <laughs> there there are a couple i enjoyed manos hands of fate better um the room is definitely better i did not hear <laughs> yeah, that. Did not. Uh-huh. night of the lepus is better um there's so many like i mean the fucking day of the trippids was better than this uh, there's there's so much there's so much that's better that that's so much better but yes what was that uh, uh, super crock of shit that that movie was better than this the the, the asylum movie oh. that the asylum movie that they don't even want on their wiki on their Wikipedia yeah. filmography yeah, right. <laughs> super crock yeah. <laughs> at least in that you can see the monster <laughs> yeah you don't want to though <laughs> I I mean oh, there's there's one movie I think it's like after season or after fall season or something this movie came out in 2009 and they had a paper built mri machine like an mri it's in a hospital and they lay a patient down to put them in an mri and it's fucking notebook paper with tape like taped up to to look like it and this is the first five minutes of the movie wow wow you do what you can. You can do what you got to do. Sir Chasm says this makes Lamageddon look like an Oscar nominee. And Travis Brown says the Beast of Yucca Flats is terrible. It's try. Actually, no, I like the Beast of Yucca Flats, and I thought it was. I actually thought it was better than this. I do. It, I'm also. I'm also a big fan of of Tor. So I loved his monsters. I loved that he was a he was a go to in that era of filmmaking. Um, you know, fucking uh, what was it? Damn it, Ed Wood. Plan Nine from Outer Space. Uh, I really, I, I thought, I thought it was better than this. Um, Ivy Gentry says Barn of the Blood Llama was probably better. <laughs> <laughs> Angel Rivera says Chupacabras was better. We didn't ask what was better. We said what was worse. What is well, worse? Than answering this? your question. You're answering your question. They're not saying nothing. <laughs> Aaron Reese says William Shatner's audition reel. Now that's some shit. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'll watch this one. Like fucking uh, August Underground was not as bad as this as as fucking Track of the Moon Beast. This one was was bad, bad, bad. Cindy Sue, good to see you, Cindy Sue. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate it. Uh, Jinju says Twilight. Twilight was worse. Yeah, I go with that <laughs> <laughs> because of sparkly zombies. Oh, fantastic! Uh, Triggered Limey says Splinter. Splinter was worse. I liked Splinter. If we're talking about the same movie. 
Teenage Mutant Ninja. Oh, no, sorry. No, not no. Shut up. <laughs> Angel Rivera says, we have officially hit rock bottom with this movie. <laughs> there is nowhere to go but up. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think that's... Rock bottom, challenge accepted. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Johnny. Yes. What do we got for our what do we got for our next one? I feel like we we staggered our good movies with our bad movies this one. It was a good one, bad, really bad one. A good one, and then well, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh so we're going to jump ahead a few years to the nineteen eighty-three American psychological slasher film Psycho number two. Roll that beautiful slasher footage. All right, so we have Psycho 2, again, American Psychological Slasher, film directed by Richard Franklin, written by Tom Holland, not that Tom Holland, starring Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, Robert Legia, and Meg Tilly. Uh, it is a sequel. Now, it's not directly based. There was a Psycho 2 novel, but this, uh, this movie is not based on that novel. So basically, 22 years after his killing spree, Norman Bates overcome his delusions, so we think, and accepted that his mother is dead, uh, seeing as how he was never officially convicted of murder, he was found not guilty due to reasons of insanity. They released him after he was deemed mentally stable. And he, it, like, you know, like you do, you go back to where the crimes were, you start the hotel over again, thinking it's going to be a success. And you creepily invite, you know, strange young women over and yell goodnight to them at the hallway. And not creepy at all, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you got people that like to come in and mess with uh, mess with Norman. Norman was just, you know, he was living his best life, and the people came in and fucked with him and drove him crazy again. And all of a sudden, <laughs> who's killing? Is it Norman? Is it his mother? Is it somebody else? Who knows? Raven Darcher says, "Oh yeah, he's all better." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you can so... come sleep in my hotel room. And uh, sarcasm. No. Uh, I love both Tilly sisters, and I agree. Both Tilly sisters are amazing. Jennifer and Meg are amazing, but only one can act worth a damn, and Meg Tilly is the one who can act worth a damn. Oh, uh, Meg Jennifer Tilly is, Tilly is great actress. Jennifer Tilly is <laughs> is great for the work that she does. Voluptuous roles that she's had. <laughs> yes, but Anthony Perkins was amazing. Um, so we're gonna I, take the, we're gonna take the worst part about Jennifer Tilly and put her in a film, a bunch of Chucky movies. <laughs> I wrote a last name, Psycho 2, Electric Killaloo. Mm. So this one, okay, so I will I will give it this. I was really, really impressed with Psycho 2. And this yeah. is a good movie. Yeah. Um and it's and the the one thing that struck me and okay, so looking at looking at the history of this, Psycho in and of itself. And, you know, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, Anthony Perkins, and, and probably Tough his movie great, to follow. a very, very hard, difficult movie to follow. Yeah. One of the most iconic kill scenes ever, the shower scene with Janet Lee, And, of I course, just is the most iconic kill scenes ever. And some would, some would argue probably it's like the start of the slasher genre right. in itself. Like, I think an argument can be made for that. I think that scene is probably, especially in any kind, is referenced. That scene, the, the soundtrack there... The right. is referenced more times than any other. I think maybe only second to the Hal, the Hal references. I think only Hal has more references than than Psycho Kill, uh, either the you know the wee, 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 or the that scene, the shower scene or whatnot. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely a top. I'll probably even throw in the Here's Johnny from The Shining. Uh, yeah, in terms of just references, but that kill, you're right. That may be the most iconic kill ever in the film. Yeah. 
So the and the, what got me on this one is it was two it was two major things. It was one first and foremost uh, the performance of Anthony Perkins in this. Anthony Perkins, what he brought to this extension of Norman Bates's character because in the first movie Norman Bates is deep is deep within the recesses of his delusion. Right. His mother is is literally an alternate personality of his. He switches between the two. The dude is you know the one hundred percent certifiable, which is why he he goes to a mental health institution instead of prison. And he was there for like twenty for twenty two years, twenty three years. So I do need to bring up something that I saw on the side. Tony reminded me that in the original Psycho, that shower scene was almost cut, not because of the graphic nature of the kill, but because there was a flushing toilet. Yeah. Fuck me. The the fucking the the, the fucking censors <laughs> at the time. I don't know what was going through their through their heads. Yeah. But this particular one, like I said, the performance of Anthony Perkins and what he brought to the role as an extension of what of Norman Bates. Norman Bates literally brought it to the point where he is is I would say almost healed. Like he is almost rehabilitated. His, his psychologist Robert Robert Loja. We need to pronounce. We need to say that correctly. Robert Loja. It's a Family Guy joke. <laughs> but I really, really, I really enjoyed um, what he brought to it. As far as and it, and it comes across, and this is just the whole, one of the hallmarks of a brilliant actor because Anthony Perkins really, really was. Is is these there's these moments is Norman's almost childlike state. In that he is so emotionally regressed in Psycho that he is still a little boy. He's still a little boy that in Psycho 4 they actually kind of go into – it's a prequel movie. actually goes into his his backstory. But in Psycho 2, he is – he's free of the delusion and he is now back in that almost little boy state. And I think it was key – it was key moments. One of the most key moments is – when the sheriff comes along because they found uh, uh, the luggage of Mr. Toomey, which is uh, Dennis Franz's character at the beginning of the film, they find his luggage in the swamp, and then they're going, they, so they go to, the, you know, people disappeared in the swamp, Norman Bates did this before, that's where he dumped the bodies in the first movie, so we need to talk to you, Norman, about what's going on. And they bring him out there, and when the and he's like, sure, let's go, let's go for the ride. And he jumps into the car. When they drive up to the, to the crime scene, his hands are on the window, like he's like he's like looking out, like yeah, oh. like a little kid. Yeah. yeah, it was little moments like that that got me. Anthony Perkins' performance in this was magnificent for the nuance he brought, for the yeah, choices he right, made. It was just right. was absolutely stunning. And second was the level of care that was brought to this. With the level of care that was brought to this movie, rarely do you see a sequel treated with the care that a franchise deserves. 1960, the original Psycho comes out. It becomes one of the most intense uh, slasher films of all time. You know, one of the most iconic movies ever made. And then you have Universal, which recognizes what it's got. And... Good night, Limey. Oh, have a good one, uh, Limey. Good night, Limey. Thank you so much for hanging out. So you have Universal, uh, Universal Pictures... Knowing what they have, knowing the legacy they have, uh, the legacy of Anthony Perkins' performance, the legacy of Alfred Hitchcock, the, leg- the this movie in and of itself, they don't want to ruin that. So great care was taken in doing this movie. Over 20 years later, 
the the, the psycho house the uh, on the universal lot which is still yep. there to this day yep. making sure that set looked yeah making sure that set looked just the way it was supposed to be making sure everything was set up the care in the script the care in, in the in uh, who they were going to cast everything was done so well this is how you do a fucking sequel and it's so uh, it just it was it was nice to see that because we don't see that these days. We just honestly don't see this level of caretaking for sequels. Why, I think the reason why this sequel works so well is because it was 20, 22, 23 years after the original, right? So people had a plenty of time to see other movies in between. Like nowadays, sequels come out too quick. Which, right. Okay. You know, because it, it, you know, like, oh man, this movie that I just watched—the original, the first one—is so it's still on my mind. It was great. It was amazing. We're gonna capitalize uh, on the energy. Yeah, we're gonna capitalize yeah. on the energy, and they put the sequel out, and then people are like, "Man, this doesn't make me feel the same way as this first one that I saw." There are very few movies that the sequels are better than the, than the first entry. Psycho, Psycho Two. I don't know if it's better than, but it's as good as. Uh, because of the storytelling, because of the way it goes. You know, you look at Home Alone and Home Alone 2. I thought Home Alone 2 was so much better than Home Alone 1. It's so much funnier The New York, right? They were actually able to elevate. That is so difficult to do in sequels. And I think what works for Psycho and Psycho 2, again, is because it's so it's 20-plus years after the right. fact, and they're able to use that as a plot point. It makes some people like, why 20 so much? Well, it won't make sense because, you know, he's been getting right in the head and this is about the time that, you know, if you were mentally unstable, here we are. It just makes sense. They use it as a plot point. And the way they were able to, like, hide and make you question, is it Norman Bates? Is it his mother? Is it, you know, what's going on? Because he's got, you know, he's got this love interest that's defending him, saying, no, it couldn't have been him. You know, your mother's dead. And then the way that, and then all of a sudden it's revealed that there are other people, other players involved in his in trying to you very know, Hitchcockian, yeah, yeah. right, yes, yeah. Right. yeah, and that was the most amazing part about it, is you were able to capture that Hitchcock flair without Hitchcock being there. So, like I said, this was an excellent film. Yeah, this is I like this because this predates you to write the necessary for sequels because it's always right. a quick oh, sequel, 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 money, money, in money. Terms of, in terms of actually going waiting until you actually get a good story. To waiting to, it's like, you know, we actually have a story that we can tell, that we can build upon this. Um, something very similar to, for example, Terminator, Terminator, Terminator 2. Yeah, that's another and one that elevated, yeah. That, that just elevated, and I would there's like, what, like 10 years in between the two. So it's, they're able to wait until they got a solid story. Until mm-hmm. you actually, until instead of when you watch a lot of sequels, you're like, this only exists to make money. We all know it only exists to make money. Mm-hmm. These older ones, the Terminator 2, Psycho 2, the Godfather 2, no, we actually have a story to tell that we're going to build upon. When you have like all the elements, and it felt very much, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but it felt I, I got a very, you know, and this is way, way before the area of Guy Ritchie, but I, I can see where Guy Ritchie gets that that the kind of feel for his films where multiple threads are coming together towards right. a big climax. And I got that sensation big time. I now see how many movies, even more movies have taken influence or inspiration from the psycho franchise from moments in it. And I want to ask, I wanted to ask you guys on this one. And this was, the film was so deftly made. And I think no more than that. It didn't really, didn't rely on jump scares. 
there are the moments where it's like ee or uh, or like this, but they're not designed to get you to reflex jump, you know, to startle you. It's meant to be like that's horrific. I'll get I'll be straight up. There were two kills in this that that kind of took me by surprise. The the Meg Tilly's mom, um, uh, her in the basement. Yeah, that one took me by surprise. I was like, holy shit! For 1983, I was kind of like. Damn, that was just like, Wah! and I was like, and it was so well executed. When she's like screaming, and it's just boom, like I was like, holy shit, that one, and at the very, very end, because the one of those plot threads we've got, like the the mother daughter team that are working against Norman, they start out, then we have the split in their in their uh, dynamic where the 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 uh, daughter is now all of a sudden in defense of Norman, the mother still wants him to go back by driving yeah. him insane. We have the. The woman who is claiming to be Norman Bates' real mother. We have the psychologist in himself who's trying to defend him. We have the sheriff who is wary of everything. And then we've got Norman who is slowly but surely cracking Going under right the pressure. Back. Yeah. And everybody is so focused on their own bullshit, nobody sees what's going on with Norman. Except for Norman. Norman realizes uh, it's, it's happening again. Yep. And, yep. you know, it's like, and that's the whole point is that, yeah, it's like you're so busy worrying about what you're trying to do. You're not realizing that you are being successful in what you're doing and unleashing this thing upon the populace again. And yeah, that's the, and then of course that last moment in the kitchen, I was like, oh, that one got me. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and how many people remembered that, the, 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 I mean, down to the fucking tea can. That moment, down to that one particular tea can, I was like, when he was like, in the, when he opens up the cover, and he's like, yeah, no. And then, because that's the one he had poisoned uh, to kill his own mother. Mm. And he... See, and, and, we, we, details. And mm. 20 years down the road, not many people might remember that. People, oh, that's right. That's the one that he used, because he does it again. Then, of course, he picks up the fucking coal shovel. It was like... I was like, oh my god! You know, I got a bunch of, I got a bunch of poison. Let's do shit the right way. And, and, you can, and, and, I, and I got the sense that the, the whole scene, he does that. The whole scene, he's me, the whole movie, he's meek, he's unsure, he's right. just, he's gregarious, he's trying to be nice to everybody and be, be the good guy that he, be the good guy that yeah. he knows he can be. And then in that last moment, you okay. know his heartbeat didn't, ra didn't raise one iota when he did that. Yeah. Pow! Done. Back, you know, Ooh, back to business. Like a Sunday usual. stroll. Just like a Sunday stroll. I was like, "Holy! This! Uh, I, it's been a long time since a movie's kind of caught me off guard." And the subtle, nuanced editing and direction, and the 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 timing and lingering on shots because you don't want to linger too long, and you don't want to linger too short. You want your people people to be able to recognize what they're seeing, but don't let it go too long yeah. because then you spoil it. This was top notch from from top to bottom. Direction, writing, acting, editing, cinematography, lighting, sound, everything fired on all cylinders. Even those iconic shots of the house up there in the background and the path leading up to the house. And oh man, it was both nostalgic and new with the, and and a sense of new uh, a new uh, new territory. I fucking loved this movie way more than I thought I would. I was like. Damn. Yeah, it's really it's really intelligently written, directed. Um, the storytelling is great. Somebody asked what I think it was David Sernick said. Uh, uh, what about the Vince Vaughn version of Psycho, the remake? I, I've said this before. It's a soulless remake, but Vince Vaughn is terrific in it. 
You know, you know what I realized, and, and, I, and I agree with you, but you know what? I think you guys might agree with me on this one. You know what was different was Vince Vaughn. It is, is, is not Vince Vaughn's performance. It's Vince Vaughn's physicality. Yeah. Vince yeah. Vaughn is a big dude. Yep. And he's also, he's broad. He, he, I mean, if Vince he's Vaughn gets guy. up in your face, yes, if Vince Vaughn, five, gets, yeah. Yeah, Vince Vaughn gets up in your face, that's an intimidating guy. Yeah. Anthony Perkins is in no way intimidating. Right. Like, there's moments in there when he, he is so frail looking that you, yeah. you couldn't even expect that the sheer extremity of violence that can come out of this dude could possibly be there. Because it doesn't look like he has the strength. It doesn't yeah. look like he's got he's got the it's like you it's like he looks like a twig. You like you a stiff a stiff yeah. breeze would knock yeah. him over, and you and that's what's terrifying about him is that is that that what's hidden behind yeah, that? Yeah. And, yeah, and 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 I think the scene when when Norman is sitting in that chair is, is sitting in his chair, he sits like like a boy like a little boy who's in trouble, yep. with it with his elbows in, closed off, shoulders kind of like uh, kind of tensed up. Because, you know, like he's expecting to be reprimanded of something. And he gets that, that very frail look on it. When Vince Vaughn was sitting in the chair, he still cuts an imposing figure. Like a fucking because linebacker. No, there's nothing slight yeah. about him. So I was kind of like, eh. It, it was during his, his the smallest. He was, real, he was real thin for Vince Vaughn. But even still, he's a big fucking dude. Right. You know, how people are going to mistake. Like, that's one thing I didn't like about the Psycho Remake. Unless, you know... His Norman's mom all of a sudden was a fucking Amazon. Like, how are we going to get the <laughs> six foot five guy to play in his, his, his mom's pajamas? I don't think. Okay. <laughs> but this is. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, I mean, just go with the side. Just suck a remake real quick. It's just like if it wasn't shot for shot. Yeah, I agree. That if if you if they actually took some cho- it took some choices and maybe even show some of the events we already know from a different perspective. That could have been interesting. Yeah, actually taking some chances, yeah. taking some risks, and then maybe revealing a little bit more of the story here and there for a remake. That would have been so much better, and even using Vince Vaughn's performance, that could have added so much. Yeah, but they just never took a chance. Yeah, you know that originally, um, originally Anthony Perkins turned down uh, the offer to do the, to do this movie, and he only accepted after he read Tom Holland's script. Um, which was, which actually I could see why, because the script was fantastic. I mean, that guy like channeled Hitchcock for the script that he turned in. So I, I'm glad that Perkins came back to play the role. And then he came back to play it, I think two more times in Psycho 3 and Psycho 4. And then of course we got Bates Motel, um, or Bates Hotel after this. And, um, but did you know that, well, the interesting thing I found out is that if, if Perkins had not signed on to this, Christopher Walken was being courted to, to be uh, to be uh, uh, the recast. That would have been interesting, and that could have been interesting. That could have been interesting. Here's my mother. She's you know she's leaving a note <laughs> in the diner. <laughs> it could have been it, it, it definitely, but uh, a fantastic film, and everybody needs to see it. It it it, it only adds to what's to what Hitchcock created. It, t- it takes nothing away from it. I love the fact that it opened, and I know it's iconic, and it would almost it would almost feel cash grabby if it wasn't over twenty years later, where we go back and we see that iconic scene, the iconic shower scene with Janet Leigh, uh, juxtaposed against the courtroom, the mm-hmm. the courtroom determination mm-hmm. that he is free, that he that he's going to be free. The court has determined that he is rehabilitated and he is free to go, and 
They said, like, it was like, yeah, they're about to free this guy, but remember what he did. You know, put those two together, like, in that moment. Oh, it was yep. fucking brilliant direction. Such good stuff. I almost don't want to stop talking about this movie because it means we have to go to the next movie. The next movie wasn't terrible. But let's go yeah. on because we don't want to run out of time. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So, <clears throat> seeing as how we've had tons of psycho entries, uh, my question to you. What is your favorite psycho entry? Is it one, two, three, four, or the was it the Hulu series? Was it Hulu series? The uh, I think I think it was was Facebook it Hulu? Show? Was, or it, was Hulu? it Showtime? I can't. I think it may have been Showtime. I or can't Facebook remember. Hotel? Either way, yeah. Yeah. Hotel or the A and E. Either way, the which one was your favorite? Let us know in the side chat in the comments down below, or we can whore at gmail.com where Alex needs pooping reading material. That was Annie. Bates Motel was Annie. Annie, okay. Yeah. I've got a fever. I've got a fever. I call it my mother. All right. right, Jail, please. Yes, I'll take us hope. So, the last movie that we're going to talk about tonight uh, came out June 4th, 2021. Came out last year. And this is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the third in the Conjuring franchise. Let's check out this trailer. That excuse never worked for me. (laughs) At least this one, the monster actually does something. Oh, so The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Directed by Michael Chavez, screenplay by David Leslie Gordon McGoldrick, based on characters but created by Chad Hayes, and of course starring Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, uh, Rory O'Connor, Sarah Catherine Hook, and Julian Hilliard. Um, Julian, uh, actually, it was awesome. Got to run into him at Texas Fredmare Weekend, which was an absolute blast because he was uh, signing way up there after his performances in a number of films like he was in Color Out of Space and, of course, uh, in um, the WandaVision series. But uh, he's an awesome little up-and-coming actor. I'll give him that. He was pretty badass in this. Um, but, man, I... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's difficult. Okay, so it's so, it's so hard because... I, it's my personal opinion about this movie that kind of drives it down for me. And But I will say this, at least the film, it, it visually looked good. It was better than some of the other films that have come out in the Conjuring universe. It looked better than Curse of La Llorona, better than, better than The Nun. It, it was strong in that respect, but what I know about the characters portrayed in here, what I know about the actual events... Like, like someone brought it up in, in the chat. Uh, let me see. Uh, so yeah, some, someone on. said... Sarcasm said loosely based on a true story, true story, and then Charlie Welch said loosely based on a true story in that it's set on Earth with people. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty much. And Joshua Lee allegedly based true story, so it was. It's based on a very simple thing. There was a murder in Connecticut that was the first the first homicide in this town's history since it was since the town was founded, and the individual uh, the defense was that they were possessed when the murder took place. Everything you see in the movie beyond that, none of that happened. No. Nope. Like, none of it. No waterbed. Yeah. Yes. So, none of that took place. Uh, but, you know, apparently there was. And the idea was that the little boy was possessed. The demon jumped from the little boy to the guy. And then uh, and then uh, about a month later or so, or almost a month later, that guy ended up stabbing someone to death. And then blamed on being possessed. So, and then this was, the you know, the first time in the, in American court record 
in which someone tried to blame a murder on being possessed by a demon. Didn't work, by, by the way. Just so in case I'm putting it out there. It so didn't no work. It did not work. You know, no ideas. I did. I did love uh, Dave Cernick. How did a devil get inside of uh, get inside of a waterbed? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Asking for a friend. Ask so th that's my difficulty. First and foremost, like you know, at this point, three movies into the Conjuring universe, despite how well, how good the movie looks, how good the editing is, how good the special effects are, the care that is taken to provide a visual feast of like scary images and psychological stuff, whatever. Um, the movie is unfortunately not scary, and I think that's just because we have. Uh, too much conjuring it, it's it's kind of like how i feel about the marvel universe right now you know i'm just i'm i'm marveled out yeah, i am right. conjuringed out yeah yeah because it's important to remember it's not just that there are three conjuring films or not there's that la Girona, the the annabelle there's like 15 of there's, them there's three annabelle films there's the nun there's yeah. uh i mean it's they've expanded the universe to a massive thing yeah, we, it's yeah. just come on now. Let's let it let it die. Okay, stop bringing that, stop conjuring that shit back to life. <laughs> well, like I said, this movie was trying to conjure a scare. Was, was what it was trying to do. Trying to conjure and, a fucking paycheck is what it was trying to do. And it I, did. Yeah, it's I, I, yes, Juju, I'm suffering from from Warren Wearout, and not beginning out my last name. I'm not related to these people in any. Yeah, I'm not related to Ed Warren, so his uncle, which is which is weird because that's the name of my uncle. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it literally is my 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 uncle's name is Ed Warren. Is Edward Warren? My father's brother is Edward Warren. So I am uh, your father's brother's cousin, cousin sister's cousin's former roommate. roommate. <laughs> what does that make us? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. nothing. <laughs> so that was the that was the biggest issue. Is that I I think Eugene, I think you might agree. As a filmmaker goes, it's just too much. Um, at this yeah, point, it's just we're just worn out. Yeah, it's too much because uh, when you think about even with the Marvel films, they were all building up towards a fantasy. So it was like build up, yep. build, kept it kept you invested because you knew that was going to be the end point, and then you had the Infinity War and Endgame, and then it's like a, it's not like a build up point anymore. And I'm pretty sure comic book fans may be like, "Hey, we're building up to something else," but I don't know what they're building. And now it's like these these loose ends. and there's not like an end game. It's not like with the Conjuring universe, it's not like it's building up to its showdown or this is like the thing you're looking for and they're dropping all these Easter eggs to build to one moment. You just have, this is just them doing their thing and sure, they may reference here or there or something like that, but there's just, it's just like, a, it's, it's more like a, hey, here's another one. Yep. Here's another right. one. That's it. And we're yeah. kind of like, okay, that, that's, Cool. The thing that kills me the most. Oh, go. I'm sorry, Eugene. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just like, yeah, that's it. I've had enough. Yeah. It's it, so the thing that kills me, and to piggyback on what you're saying, is it's so formulaic. They've got well, this is how we're gonna make a conjuring movie. This is what it's supposed to look like, and this is what we're gonna follow. This section we've got A, B, and C, and A is gonna be almost exactly the same. Like you can go back in time, you can tell where the three acts change in every conjuring film. You can just tell, right? And you could, it's just so formulaic. I'm like, come on, guys. If you're going to tell me really a story, is. yeah, tell it differently at least. Even if it's the same fucking story, just tell, reverse the order. Start with the ending and then go to the beginning or something. Like nonlinear telling, yes. yeah. Some, something to change it up a little something bit. Something to change up the, yeah. the thing, you know? Um, so, I mean, it, as far as it goes like that, if, if I mean, I will give this. Uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, very talented, you know, actor and uh, she's actress. She's not bad to look at. 
and you know, like that. I mean, the 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 film in and of itself, as far as construction goes, as far as making a film, it works. Yeah, I mean, everything. Yeah. There's a lot of care taken into it. The 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 acting is good. The writing is serviceable. The the film, yeah, the visual I, effects I are really. Sure. I'm not saying that those things yeah. are bad. Like although the right, not bad. It has good ingredients. It's just it's the same apple pie we've been eating. Exactly, and I oh, think we're just we're just worn out on it. So, yeah. and my biggest issue on this one and. And this was even worse than before because we've addressed before the issues. I have like personal issues with Ed and Lorraine Warren. I think that they were charlatans. I think that they took advantage of people who were in desperate who were in desperate states and they fed off of people's yep. fear. And I'm not a fan of the work that they did because they helped to perpetuate a, an image of certain aspects of society which um, led to a lot of persecution. And yep. I'm not a fan of of what they of what they did and the fallout from what they did. And a movie like this, and well, I've always said that the Ed and Lorraine Warren movies, the Conjuring movies, have kind of exploited the stories of because they're, they're centered around real events. And the people that were involved, like they like the uh, like um, what was it, the, the second Conjuring film, or actually the first one, that family was real, and that family suffered horrible losses. Yeah. And the and the Warrens, in my eyes, exploited that. And of course, the films on top of that is almost like a double exploitation. Right. But I never felt that it was even it, it, the exploitation felt even worse in this particular film because this is not because real lives were ruined as a result of the actual events that were going yeah. on and perpetrating it, not only tying like Satanism. There's all these mentions of witchcraft being tied into Satanism, and it's directly evil and it's against God. It, I, I would almost feel that the, that these films had an agenda, that they were so exploitative, that they that the purpose was. I would almost think this was like a fucking pure flicks movie, and it was so overwhelming. It, it actually pull, goes to take you out of the movie. It's like damn, because we know that that's not the case now. We we we're far enough along away from Ed and Lorraine Warren's work. We know this is not the case. And it's difficult to divest yourself, to, to, to suspend your disbelief when you have the knowledge that we have today and the understanding we have today. And then you see these old backwater, very, yeah. you know, hardcore religious fundamentalist ideas That's being presented forth for the sure sake of a horror movie to exploit the story in which real people were affected. That bothers yeah. me. So... Not really on what you're talking about, but kind of, and I understand what you're saying. Absolutely, 100% agree. We're kind of exploiting, but when you use, okay, so there are two things that there, there are two things that you get when you use the based on actual events or based on true story, right? One is a good thing, one is a bad thing. One, you're letting people know, hey, this is actually, ha or you're telling people this actually happened, so you start getting, oh man, this could actually. Two, the suspension of disbelief is much more difficult in a based on true story film. Than it is in a not based on true story film. True, because mm -hmm. oh, this actually happened. So now I've got to think about this film in context of the world that I live in. And for me, that was like all right. Cool. In, a, in a film, as long as it, and I've said this before, that as long as whatever happens in a movie works within the world that the movie is built, I can suspend my disbelief. But when it doesn't, we're fucked. So if we're if we're getting rid of that now, saying that. Whatever you're presenting to me has to work in the world that I know because it's based on a true story. Now my suspension of disbelief is almost gone, and I can't believe the story that you're telling me. It's much more difficult. Yeah. Uh, again, not talking about Absolutely. the exploitation yeah. of, of family members. That's just atrocious in itself. I think we should be doing that. But, you know, stay away from the based on true story bullshit, people. Just stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. 
See, this brings us. See, this brings up an interesting thing. And I thought it would have been better this this way is if instead of actually having Ed and Lorraine and making it based off a true story and all this, what if you had the Conjuring and it took itself as a fictional thing? Yeah. Where they just had right. a fictional couple that we investigated things. It was nothing based on anything, any kind of story. And everything was fictional. And then the series followed this couple on well, all then, then you have ins- then, Yeah, then you have Insidious, though. Because that's what yeah, Insidious well, I mean, is. Lynn Shay's character and her team of investigators who go and they help with like these astral demons and shit like that. Oh, yeah, so exactly. Right. And the thing is, is I like The Conjuring, but I think Insidious is a better movie. Insidious, the Insidious franchise is better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we don't have that based on true story bullshit. They can do whatever they want. Yes. Right. Again, if it works within yeah. the world that you've built, suspension of disbelief achieved. If it doesn't, then the whole like the whole like I know that the that the nun thing and that's actually the nun thing was what like the the Valak demon is actually derived from the Amityville horror that was supposedly yep. the demon that was involved in that house and then you know it goes like that but we all we I mean it's obvious we know now the Amityville horror thing which it never took place the house was not haunted um, no that was just the guy who was trying to get out of a bad housing deal. yeah trying to basically he got the house cheap because it was a quintuple murder in it. And then he realized it was way too much to try and renovate, and he needed to get yeah. the hell out of it. Get the hell out of it. So yeah. Wow. So uh, yeah, this is the one that it, it, it. This one was almost too much. I would say it was almost too much for me. It was, and for somebody, this is weird because th- maybe it's because of my position on Ed and Lorraine Warren, and the and the and their the you know the th- the things that they did that the the people that they conned because like sarcasm saying Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, conned a lot of good but gullible people. And they did. People who were very, very desperate. People who were vulnerable. People who were who were pre. Uh, what? Uh, sorry, Johnny. What's that word I'm looking for? Um, preconditioned. Preconditioned. They were preconditioned to believe in a particular thing, right. and they're looking for explanations in that place. And then Anne Lorraine Warren, the demonologist, show up to provide that explanation, yeah. taking advantage of these individuals, feeding into their disbelief and their gullibility, and it just it, it just aggravating. Unlike a movie like The Entity. Where the woman was being assaulted, like like physically and sexually assaulted by a ghost. The entity was also based on based on actual events, and those events have yet to really be explained, which is which is interesting. But so much was changed about the movie that the core story is told, but everything around it was made up in order to protect her identity, protect the identity of her family, and of course, but still tell a very a very compelling and scary story. But in that, it doesn't go off of that. That was one example. I think there's a difference there. It's when you're telling one person's story, not the story of a bunch of con artists, mm-hmm. which is what really, really aggravates me. So that that's, like I said, it's my personal opinion. I know there are people out there that love the, love the Conjuring franchise. I'm glad that it didn't rely very heavily on jump scares. That that I was like, oh, it's just going to be jump scare yeah. fever. Again. It yeah. did seem, yeah. that's one, that's one positive, is it did seem to kind of pull back from the jump scare right. stuff, which, which is always... Nice. Which, which uh, even Raven, uh, Raven Darkstar, Darkstar said that it was like the entity didn't feel exploitative. Yeah, right. yeah. It, it, it told that, that it told that woman's story with compassion and really showcased the, the 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 terror that she experienced. 
in that. So, and Aaron Reese says, Jesus, did you see what that demon did to this plumbing system? <laughs> <laughs> Always oh, with the toilet. But speaking of which, take a look. We're back in the shower, right? We uh, right, yeah, we come full. So yeah, yeah, the uh, the the shower scene. And you yeah. know, I was thinking about like that. We were talking about no, uh, no one lives uh, weeks ago. Shower scene okay. in that one. The bad guy coming up and he all like he all through the shower curtain and everything. So many movies take from it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. But I want to ask this one. Yeah, given I don't think we need. I need to digress any further on what I feel about this and how I feel the. the the grossness of what I feel is the exploitation. I don't think we need any more Conjuring films. Give us some more Insidious films. Those are getting a little worn out as well, but I enjoy, I love Lin Shay. I will go to, I will die on that hill. I love Lin Shay till the day I die. And we could use more Insidious films. But does, I want to ask the audience, does this go too far? Does this level of exploitation go too far for the sake of making a horror movie to try and make some money or to try and milk the most you can out of a out of a franchise, I think that may have, that that may also play into it. The fact that we got one conjuring, little bit of exploitation. Second conjuring, okay, we're doing a little bit more. Third, now we're just like yeah, we're just now. Come on, guys, it's just getting out of hand. Maybe it's that. Maybe just we feel it so much because it's so kind of gro- you know the, what's going on behind it. The, the scene's kind of gross. Let us know down in the comments below or in the live chat. Do you think that movies like this go just too far? Or are you cool with it? It's just like, hey, man, horror for the sake of horror? Fuck it. Let's just have more scares. Let us know. I'd like to hear what you have to say, especially uh, weekendhorror at gmail.com. And because we're getting short on time, Eugene, we got the trivia question tonight. All right. Before. Before before you jump into. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to win a Weekend Horror Icon shirt. So the new icon shirt that I recently put up, I think the most of y'all have seen it. It has a name of horror icons with weak and horror spelled down the middle. It's a thing that I made some some time ago. But I put it up on the store, and we're going to give one away tonight to the winner of this trivia uh, question. Let me make sure I pull up the live chat, and Eugene, take it away. So the trivia question is, track of the moon beast featured in what season of mystery science theater 3000 a track of the moon beast featured in what season of mystery science theater 3000 mst3k i feel like it could be all of them (laughs) (laughs) i've got the uh i've got the live chat up let's see who's got it first one answer gets a weekend horror icon shirt Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) boom (laughs) got it Got it. Why not? Just give it to him. That's right. We got Travis Brown, who got the correct answer first. And the answer is season 10. Season 10. Fan friggin' tastic. Congratulations, Travis Brown, one of our big badass trivia winners. Uh, I knew there's going to be a Tony Regime since season five. No, and uh, Sarcasm said season nine, but yep, and Brodenell same went even further. Season 10, episode seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, but yes, uh, season 10 was the answer. Congratulations, Travis Brown. We will get that shirt printed and we will get it out to you ASAP. Congratulations. All right. It's, is it that time? Is that it time? is about that time. Yep. yep. We got to go home already. Oh, man. <laughs> and that will bring another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. Thank you all so much for listening. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you didn't, check your pulse. Join us next week when we look back at the questionable remake of The Omen. Uh, that's an understatement. 
the terrifying <laughs> poltergeist number three, the original conjuring, and the bloodily subversive censor. We'd like to send a special shout out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make the weekend horror the incredible success it has become. Thank you all so much. Really couldn't, we cannot put too much finer point on that. You guys are awesome. Really do appreciate it. Uh, be sure to stop by Joshua Olson's store, www.batsamurai.store. He does all of our amazing artwork on the show, and his designs are incredible. Be sure to go check him out. He's really cool. Uh, old school chum of mine. Known him for a long time. Uh, for more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials where you get the daily splatter right into your feeds. And check us out at Digital Darkness. That's our new-ish YouTube gaming channel hosted by Alien X Gaming. Remember, you too can help out help combat the evil algorithm by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smashing that bell as if it were a UA bowl waving a new game adaptation script for all the latest updates from the show. Smash it. Come on now, you can do it. And lastly, if you love what we do here and you would like and are able to support our production, you can do so through our Patreon. Because we all go a little mad sometimes, you can show your weekend horror love by joining uh, one of our subscriber tiers, join our fellow fanatics, slashers, possessed, and mastermind patrons for all kinds of special behind-the-scenes access to the weekend horror podcast. You can get in for as little as a dollar a month. Come on, man. Let's do it. One dollar. One dollar. But if Patreon is not your favorite stalking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal. Links to everything, including our Discord community, where you can find trailers, trivia games, horror watch parties, share your own content, and even interact directly with the crew are down in the description. As always, sharing the show with the fans in your local horror community is the absolute best way to help us further our goals of global horror domination. That's horror domination, not the Russian domination. Thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast could have. I'm some fat guy. I'm JL. And I'm Eugene. We'll see you next week. And remember, stay scared. Josh really just became a patron. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Josh.